Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on. And the listener, the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I'm so happy to be back with you. I hope you're happy to join with me because we've got a great show coming up. Uh, It's going to be very, very interesting. We've got Dr. Sarah Ferrant. And she's going to be coming. I'll talk more about her by way of introduction. She's going to become a regular commentator because we get such good feedback for her. And we're going to be talking about, hmm, actually, I'll tell you we're going to be talking about when I introduce her. Uh, and also, very interesting story, Ginny Deval and Maria Custer. And we're going to go all the way down to the wonderful, beautiful, dusky sound in the bottom corner of New Zealand. And we're going to be talking about this beautiful sound and the extraordinary project that is underway there about making it a biobank where New Zealand's flora and fauna is preserved and protected and made enlarged through controlling predators. It's such a fascinating thing. It's almost like something out of Jurassic Park. You're going to love it. So enjoy the show. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, email me inbox at rallycheck.radio. Email me at 2050. Text me at 2057. Thank you so much for listening. I'm still getting back into my groove after that long uh, Christmas break, but I'm so loving it. I loved it before the break. I'm loving it even more now. I think we're just blessed with our guests that are coming up. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, and we're blessed for our listeners and their feedback. Thank you. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Next, we've got Dr. Sarah Ferrant, and Dr. Sarah is going to become 
Oh, a regular contributor every four weeks or so. We're going to have her on talking about what we're going to call navigating health outside the system. Dr. Sarah is the co-founder of Vital Wellbeing, a company providing vital tools globally for generational change in health. She's an extraordinary woman. In 2007, she won a non-fiction writer of the year and became an Amazon number one bestseller. Her books, The Vital Truth and The Health Illusion, are global sellers sold in over 34 countries. And she's launched in 2018 an online course called Take Charge of Your Health. And her and her husband launched Vital Foods, a suite of minerals, including colloidal minerals and magnesium for the people of New Zealand in health and overseas. She has an extensive background in teaching psychology and general science, in addition to her doctor of chiropractic, and has been interviewed all over the world about her work. Dr. Sarah is also touring the country, presenting Navigating Health Outside the System that kicks off the tour on Saturday the 24th of February, Levin. She'll be drawing on information from her award-winning and global-selling books, The Vital Truth and The Health Illusion. She will share stories from her own and her kids' lives, home birth, home educated and non-medicated, taking on a deep dive into what health is and where it comes from leaving you with valuable tips and alternate ways to help you and your family navigate health outside the system. You can go over to her webpage, www.vital-wellbeing.com, and you can find out where she will be speaking near you. Oh, we're lucky to have Dr. Sarah as a regular contributor. Stay tuned. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. Back by popular demand, Dr. Sarah Ferrant. Ferrant. How do I say Ferrant? It's such a simple <laughs> word. Ferrant. That's right. Ferrant. Oh, You're I got it. Well. You're good. Now, <laughs> tell me this. People loved you coming on the show. Oh, and thank you. you have built a remarkable business and a business helping people with their health. How did you get into this world? Like, most of us grow up going off to the doctor and, you know, take a pill, and that's how we live. But you and your husband stood apart from that and developed a whole new or part of a whole new model of thinking about health. How did you get – how did that come about? Because it actually requires quite independent thought and quite a lot of courage, I suspect, and some good mentors. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it started for us, you know, many moons ago, over 30 years ago, really. And it was my dad that taught me two things. One, you've got all the answers inside of you, ask the question, trust your answer. And the second thing he taught me very clearly and quite consistently was find out what everybody else is doing and run like hell in the opposite direction. So what, to, what, what do you think that latter one means? Well, I know my dad was very good at looking at things in a different way and seeing what the masses were doing and wondering if if everyone's doing it that way but there's not really much change, well, why wouldn't we want to do it the other way and see if we get greater change? So for me growing up, it was always that if everyone's doing that, well, I'm not going to do that because look at the results that people are getting. So, um, and I, and as a result of that, Rodney, I've always been a, a questioner. So when it came for us to open our business, Vital Wellbeing, we were wanted to make sure that 
we were our focus, our drive, our vision, our mission, I guess, is was to always optimize the health of people, of families. And so you if don't... we could if we could influence a generation, then that generation then would gradually change to the next generation. So that's how we thought that we would be able to instigate instigate change. So with your father's genetic heritage and cultural upbringing, mm. you don't feel a particular pressure to conform? No, probably, probably more the other way, actually, that I'm just... You're only I'm, in your happy place when you're standing aside. Yeah, and I'm quite comfortable in making decisions for myself and not having to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or, you know, that saying, right? Mm. I, I don't feel mm. like I have to be a part of a crowd or a group to fit in. I, I I think for my husband and I, we're very much of the ilk of this is our family, this is our kids. Um, we get to raise them in the way that we want to, in the best way that we know how, and when they become adults and they have their own children, then they'll get to do it their way. So I, I do remember when we were first, you know, kind of starting out on this journey and my parents had, you know, challenged me on a couple of things and I just said to them, you know what, you had your turn. You know, you had your turn. Let us do it our way. And if yeah. we, you know, muck up for whatever reason, then that's on us. So for us, you know, we've always been on par with, you know, making decisions. Although in, in most households, Rodney, I would say that 95% of the time the female is the one that's making those health decisions around children. Indeed. And, um, and so for us educating the, the, the female and the family is yeah. really important as well. What was it like at school, high school in particular, with this nonconformist streak? Because to me, school is all about homogenizing you. Yeah. Well, I was very much the loner at school. You know, I was the dumb and, you know, as from prior interviews with you, I was the dumb and I was dunce. You know, that's what I was called in the schoolyard. I didn't have a close circle of friends. I don't see many of my school friends now. I, I thought for myself. I went to Miss Claire. She would teach me different things about systems. So in the schoolyard, I was still beating my own drum. You know, when Did I was. Did that bother you? No, not at all. No. And I probably yeah. continue in a similar vein today in in that way very much standing on my um you know my own two feet with making my decisions um, but I'm not making careless decisions Rodney mm. it, they are what makes sense decisions now some people might say oh she's an irresponsible parent because she's doing x y and z well yes if you carry a certain belief and understanding then I can see how you would probably see that but when you sit in the seat that I sit in then you can also see the way that I, you know, frame and I, I look at the world, at, at looking at things from this different perspective. And, um, you know, I think once people are educated in, you know, our, our vital wellbeing philosophy, my approach to health, my understanding of how, you know, bigger things happen within life, then then people are like, people get that 
uh, oh, aha, you know, that aha mm. moment that I, you know, that's always, I always look to instill in the people that I do one-on-ones with or where I present that people come away with an aha, with a, with like a, a little bag or a big bag full of, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Or why wouldn't I think like that? Or, or how can I get more information about that? So it, it's not that, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't put an irresponsible parent hat on my head. I would say I'm very calculated in the decisions that I make in terms of making sure that I can optimise the health of my children, myself, my husband, and those people who, who uh, you know, follow along with us. It must be extremely empowering to be a person who doesn't feel the need to conform. Yeah, it is actually. It's quite liberating. <laughs> because you're not subject to other people's whims and fancies and fads. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think because that's the way I've always been, I, I know no different than yeah. to sit in my strength and my courage and my own bravery in making the decisions um, that and I And presumably that makes you the opposite of a victim because you make your own decisions and so you don't sit there and say poor me because you see yourself sitting outside making your own decisions not carried along by other people's decisions yeah very very much so rodney and for for me and for our kids and for the people that we educate we we come from that position of responsibility that everything in your life is, you know, occurs or is a result of you having a hand on, you having a handle in, sorry. So it's your responsibility. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about health or whether we're talking to, you know, a group of people or our children about finances or about social interactions. It doesn't matter. It all goes back to you have responsibility and your responsibility is in the decisions that you make. So there is no, you can't point the finger um, at someone else and lay blame when you have had the information and you're the one that's made a decision to go in a certain direction. Mm. And tell me now about your business, Vital Wellbeing. What does it do? What's its purpose? How does it work? So Vital Wellbeing, um, we established that to optimise the health of generations, like I said. So we are kind of like a three-pronged approach to, to health. So we have um, our direct services, which is chiropractic adjustments in our bricks-and-mortar buildings, and then we have uh, online education, and then we have our food line. So we have minerals, magnesium and colloidal minerals as well. So it comes under the umbrella of move, eat, think. So from the perspective of understanding how we create health challenges within our life, um, we look at it like a triangle where there's physical, there's chemical, and there's emotional impact um, in, in, in our life and how we perceptually view that um, the, the physical, the chemical, the emotional, the stresses then uh, creates the changes in our health. So we're always addressing with people that physical, the chemical and the emotional um, kind of like a three-legged stool, I would guess, mm. um, Rodney, that if you take away one of them, you're only looking at one aspect of the challenges that you create in your life. But when we look at all three of them, um, then then uh, we have this opportunity to learn. So it was, and, it and was move, eat, was uh, it? 
uh, on our website, yeah, it's move, eat, think. What a wonderful thing. It's really boils it down. Now, uh, tricky thing. Do you find it a bit stressful that when you're advocating for people's health, that you're setting yourself up as a role model and for a fail? And by that I mean, well, I'll give you the example. We had these dreadful people. I remember an American Surgeon General or something, and you'd be beaming into our TV sets. Not that I watch TV, but I'd see him on YouTube. And he'd be telling us what we need to do for our health. The guy looked like he had both feet in the grave and was barely alive. He looked dreadful. Every aspect of him was a mess. And yet here he was, this physician, telling us about health. Now, you can't help but look at that. It's like someone giving you business advice. You sort of look at them and you think, well, you know, how successful are you in business? So you have a dreadful, well, what is it? Is it a good responsibility to be exude radiant good health and optimism <laughs> at every opportunity and your children? And we all know that you could be stricken, um, these things, God moves in mysterious ways, and you could be the healthiest per person on the planet and be stricken. I, I, I sort of guess the thing is, is you've got to work quite hard to be what you proselytize. Or do yeah. you find that easy? Um, you know, I like having a clean diet. We eat organic. Um, I move, um, and I think differently. So, you know, move, eat, think. That, that's kind of our... It's our who you are. It's who, yeah, it's who I am. It's who And I, your I children? And the kids too, yep. Because they can... Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We've all seen parents who live a good life and their parents turn... Their kids turn out something wonky. Um, so well far, done. so far... You know, at, so at 21, 19, and 17, they're, they're following the, uh, you know, they, they eat well, they they exercise, they play high-level sport. Um, you know, our youngest is just finished. Oh, now, you're, training now you're making me feel, nutrition. now you're making us all feel inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's not the idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got the interesting experience where I have young children. One's just started, the oldest has just started high school mm -hmm. and the other two at primary school. And I have an older son who has... Uh, a child and one on the way. So I have this wonderful experience. And like you say, you know, my son is telling me, I went and visited him and he's telling me about how he's raising their son and all the rest of it and doing it a bit different to what we did. And it's exactly that point you made about, you know, it's his turn. And I say nothing. And um, other than admire him taking responsibility for his family and looking after his family and providing for his family, which just fills me with joy. Mm, nice. um, and so, and of course, while you've still got young kids, you don't actually get on a soapbox because you realise just how tough it is parenting. Yes. Um, well <laughs> Tell me, we seem to have, and I'm sure you're going to confirm my bias here, but I would imagine, I don't even know if there is a thing called mental health because, but we talk about it and we see it play out in the papers and news media endlessly where people 
say their own well in the head, in the thinking department, in the responsibility department. And we've particularly seen it in recent times with our politicians behaving erratically and badly and blaming, quote, in quotes, uh, mental health. And funny enough, I do think there's something wrong with them. But I can't help but think that it's lifestyle and food. Would that be... Like, obviously there are things that can go terribly wrong. There's always, you know... Uh, medical conditions, but when you're looking at people, they're not living well as, say, our grandmothers lived. Would that I, be I, I would, about I, I, I would, Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And um, you're right, we, we're, we're not living like our grandparents did or our great-grandparents even, you know, even mm. better than that. Um, and I do believe that you know, move, eat, think, all of it is, is you know, th- we're in this, um, it's like this cocktail of things that are influencing our life. And however, in saying that, yes, diet is really important. Um, and yes, how we think and the conversations we have are really important. But what I, I feel that supersedes all of that is, the internal communication that we have with ourselves, and the master communication of of that is the nerve system. So the nerve system, as I've said before with you and on it on other interviews, and I'll and I'll keep saying it, is the master communicating system of the body. So there's there's not one thing that you can do without appropriate neurological function. Now, that neurological compromise can actually be set up from birth, depending on how you're born, and it can also be the challenges that we have, like the up to 2,000 different falls that we have in our lifetime up until, the, you know, just to the age of two. And then we've got all the other impacts that we have throughout our lifetime. So how we perceptually see and sense our world changes our internal physiology. Mm. And then that sets us up for different levels of health expression. Now, those challenges, those perceptual understandings, how we view our world happens across seven areas of life. So we've got... um, uh, uh, spiritual, mental, vocational, financial, familial, social, and physical. So all of those seven areas of life, we are constantly perceiving data through, and then that is having a physiological impact on our world. So so yes, is there mental health that is a challenge? Absolutely. Can that be helped with diet? Absolutely. You know, making sure that we're not having processed food, making sure that we're getting minerals in our diet, given that the the um, state of the soil at the moment and how things are growing is so depleted in our life, making sure that we are having great conversations with people and thinking in different ways, and then also making sure that we are taking care of the internal workings of the body by having um, regular adjustments. So for me, I'm a chiropractor. I will always espouse um, chiropractic adjustments. Chiropractors are trained 
uh, in the neurological, under, you know, specificities of the body in order to um, assist those people with the changes that they wish to undertake. So, so that, you know, and when we look from that neurological perspective, um, Rodney, obviously that's going to change what happens with our mental mind as well because now all of a sudden we've got a brain and a body that's connected. It's not Mm. dissociated it's not separate it's not um you know kind of cut off at the neck and we're we're attempting to integrate things in our bodies wanting to do something you know something else so w- that integration is so vitally important um neurologically uh to be able to adapt to our life we're talking to dr sarah ferrant uh vital well-being is her business uh and vital well-being is what she is you just need to i have the pleasure of seeing her <laughs> and she is extremely well. She's a, certainly a being, and she's certainly very, very vital. <laughs> so she's a picture of very good health. Now, we've all seen, and there was a recent one that went around on X, and it was a video clip, and it's these pictures of the past. But this was a video clip that had been of a New York street in the 1930s. And uh, if you've seen it, it's dramatic. It's been colorized and it's been put to the right speed. And so it's like it was taken on your iPhone yesterday. But it's a 1930s busy, busy street scene. And when you see it, your jaw drops because there's dozens and dozens of people in the street scene. Every one of them looks like an athlete. They look unbelievably healthy. There's not an ounce of fat to be seen. They have beautiful, round faces. They're smiling. They're standing straight. Mm. And you could imagine taking that same street scene today in any city in the West, and you'd see these broken, depressed people. And so we've had this experience of the industrialization of our food and the growing of our food. We have seen, I guess, these assaults on our well-being. And I don't know if it's at peak, but the thing that I really notice now is cell phones. And when you're saying having good conversations, these things, these devices are the antithesis of a good conversation, are they not? Yeah, it's that they certainly are. Well, I guess you can look at it in two ways. You know, I'm not a big device person, my myself you know uh, you know uh, but again when we look at generational changes it's you know we had big things in our time that came out and then the time TV, before that, yeah. you know and then they have something that's in their lifetime that's big and impactful um in their life but um you know i prefer these conversations of course and the and the conversations that i have when i present with people you know that that's they're the conversations that i'm all you know would love yeah. to engage in but but you're right, you know, technology um, 
interrupts that. And whilst it's not in our generation, that's not the way we do it, it's the next generation. When you see how they interact, it's it's just so vastly different. And, uh, you know, it, it's a tough one. It, it, it really is. I don't know the answer, but it just worries me because I myself can be readily addicted to right. X and social media. And I used to be addicted to the news before I was in politics. And I had to catch the news in the morning. I had to catch the news oftentimes on the hour and to be up to date with what was happening. And I'd get anxious if I hadn't heard the news. Right. Um, and in a funny way, the internet allows us that interaction with keeping up all the time. You can always refresh a page. You can always go on X. You can always look at Facebook. You can always, I don't do these other things like Instagram and TikTok, but you can see in the kids catching up with their chat rooms and their messages. Mm -hmm. And it can give you an anxiety if you're not up to date. And you see it when you go to, you go out and the parents are, and the kids are all sitting there on their phones. And they're a wonderful device. I love the internet. You know, I just adore it. But there's a dark side to it that we haven't yet developed the personal and social mechanisms. I guess it's like the ready availability of sugar, which is, a, you know, in many ways a wonderful thing, but it's a dangerous thing. And we mm -hmm. have to learn how we handle this amazing opportunity because sugar's totally addictive. Mm. Um, and the food manufacturers know that sugar, salt, and um, are a, and fat are a great combination and they can make food that you eat it and you, as soon as you eat it, you want more of it and you can't stop. You can't have one potato chip. You've got to eat the packet. Mm. Um, whereas you eat real food and you become satiated. And this technology is the same. It's very hard for us to put it down. And then you see kids, and I find it myself, my attention span wanes. So the idea of reading a long text is too much, let alone reading a book. Mm. Mm. So we, we this yeah. vital well-being is a topic of our times because there are so many assaults on our well-being, going back to that 1930s amazing picture of what people were once. And even if you cast, I mean, I went to primary school in the 60s, and we might have had one fat kid in the school. I mean, no one would believe you now. Yeah. Now, that's all by way of throat clearing and <laughs> to our audience this year because we're going to have a regular slot where we talk about topics of, of well-being and we're very blessed, Sarah, to have you give us your uh, knowledge and experience and to share it with us, uh, the listeners of RCR. Um, just before I do that, where do we find, we can just search Vital Wellbeing or Dr. Sarah Farrant and you will find her webpage where you can uh, see more about her and the services that they offer. Um, I highly commend that webpage to you. Now, the topic of today 
oh, it's one of those ones that's a bit tricky. <laughs> because as soon as I mention it, I'm as bald as a badger, but as soon as you mention head lice, I start scratching around my head. <laughs> I get itchy all over. And then the other thing that occurs to me is I think of head lice as something from our caveman days, you know, that when we were living dirty and filthy and as peasants, you would be covered in filth and lice. And yet here we have head lice today, and you get a note from the school, oh, watch out, there's a head lice outbreak at the school. And you think, how can that possibly be? This is the, you know, this is 2023, 2024 now. How can there be head lice? Surely we've got something that can deal with that. And then your child gets head lice, and you think, what am I living in? Am I living in this filthy house? What is going on? Tell us about head lice. So, well, first of all, if I do just a little disclaimer that anything that I say is for educational purposes, uh, yeah. purposes only. But it was a while ago, Rodney, when I, st I, I wrote on lice, like, uh, you know, probably 12, 13, 14 years ago, and it was after hearing a conversation on a boat from these a group of mums that were talking about head lice and they were like, oh, yuck, it's, you know, my child's got lice and it just won't go away. And and the other one was saying, well, I use this medicated shampoo. And the other one was like, oh, I'm just combing all the time and now I've got to wash all the sheets. So it was all of this about the lice. So I, I thought, you know, it's probably good that I write an article and just share a different perspective on on the lice. So if I start with this, this story, and I've shared this story before probably on your interview or, or a, on another RCR interview, but the story goes like this. Let's say that there is a nightclub and this nightclub is on the corner of a laneway and the venue is being hired out on this particular night. So there's more people than usual using the nightclub. But as the rubbish fills up, the staff are taking the rubbish bags out to the laneway where the, the you know, let's call them green wheelie bigs, the, the big green wheelie beans are, and they're putting the rubbish in. But as the night continues, the rubbish outside that the staff are taking outside is starting to pile up until the rubbish bin's full. But the staff are still taking the rubbish bags out and they're no longer able to put them in the bin. They put them down on the side of the green bag on the ground of the laneway. And the rubbish through the night starts to pile up more and more. Well, lo and behold, sooner or later, the aroma of the rubbish bags starts to filter through the suburb. And the young you know, opportunistic rats smell the aroma and they start to come to the laneway and they start to feast on the rubbish bags and they start to scavenge it, they start to eat. And then the staff come out and they're like, oh, my gosh, we've got rats, you know, so what would people do? Well, most people would go and get sprays and gels and rat bait, etc., and put out there to stop the rats from coming. So the question to ask in is, are the rats the problem or is the rubbish pile the problem? And, of course, the answer is the 
rubbish pile is the problem, not the rats. The rats are the opportunistic rodent that goes, I can smell this, you know, wonderful taste of rubbish. I'm going to go and feast. So most people, though, look at the rats as the problem and we need to get rid of the rats. And they fail to look at the rubbish pile. If we just clean up the pile, Mm. then the rats won't come. So the rats were using their nerve system, obviously through their senses, to sense their world to go, I can smell something great, I'm going to go and feast. Lice are no different. Lice are opportunistic. So let's let's look then as lice is opportunistic and then we have a host. The host is then ripe for the lice then to feast on there, to help clean up whatever is um, occurring on the head. So let me back up a little bit. When children grow, the first seven years is about the physical body. And this is where the movie think comes in, or the physical, the chemical, the emotional, or said another way, thoughts, trauma, and toxins. The first seven years are about the physical body. When the child gets to about the age of six, seven, eight, it's different. That's why I've given it a range. Their their body starts to change. They start to move out of their physical body and they move into their chemical body. That chemical body lasts for the next seven years, from seven till around 14. At the age of 14, they then go into their emotional body. At the age of 21, they come back into their physical body. So the instigation or the the awareness of this change that starts to occur from the physical body to the chemical body at the age of six, seven, eight, is when they start to lose their baby teeth. So when we start to lose that, we know that there is cranial changes that are taking place, which means there's also going to be brain changes that takes place, which means there are are different hormones that get released into the body. And those hormones that get released obviously help instigate puberty, etc. Layered over that change is the starting of school. So at around the age of six, children will go into formal education. They would start at a, you know, inverted commas, at a big school uh, if they come out of daycare centres. So for us in practice, you know, over the time that we have been, um, you know, operating, we have seen that lice is generally from the age of around six to 14, but primarily where we've seen lice um, prevalent is in children from the age of 8 till 11. So when they undergo these changes in their cranium and they're releasing more, you know, hormones into, into their body and they're at school, they're undergoing a tremendous amount of stress. So that stress is an emotional stress and it's a chemical stress. So the stress is the hormones that get released. But then they start at school and they've got all the schoolyard, you know, inverted commas, stuff mm. to mm. to a be huge amount of stuff. 
but yeah, the in, you know, inter, interact with. So they've got, you know, the um, uh, how do I get around the school, you know, mm. the anxiety. And then they've got learning challenges, um, which usually come up, ironically, at around the age of six, seven, eight. Um, and then we have um, uh, perfectionism, maybe, that they're at school and they want to make sure that they're doing everything correctly. And then there's the schoolyard bully. And then there's where am I sitting in the classroom? And then there's teacher interaction. So there's a whole lot of stress that is coming on. But the changes in their cranium also mean that they are becoming more abstract in thought, which means they can also start to form stories. So it might be like, Sally's not nice to me in the playground. Now, Sally could be a nice person and Sally might be nice, but again, we start to create these stories in our head that Sally's not nice to me or, you know, Bobby's got um, a different lunch to me and I want to, um, you know, why can't I have the same lunch as, as Bobby? So all of these different stresses therefore emit different chemicals through our skin. And therefore, we have different chemicals that are emitted through the scalp and that go down the hair, through our hair. Now, whilst that emit, the emittance of those particular chemicals is not offensive to us as humans, they are the sweet-smelling essential oils to things like lice. So lice will go where there's an opportunity for them to scavenge. Now, that doesn't mean that the lice are bad in someone's head because they're, they're just like rats. They're cleaning up the pile. So they're scavenging. They're eating. They're, they're wanting to, to um, eat because they've been attracted by that chemical change on that person's skin. So the... Um, the uh, the uh, lice then, we can look at the lice as the problem and we go, okay, I'm going to go and get sprays and gels and medication or medicated shampoos to put on my child's hair in order to remove that, remove that lice. Or we can actually say there's an opportunity here because if we're just de-licing, then we're missing the opportunity and the opportunity is to have the conversation and understand what is occurring in your child's life at that point in time. So, so um, questions around and understanding, it, it's almost like the questions and being the observer, Rodney, of their of their world. You know, what are they going through? What are the stresses that they are encountering? Sometimes it's just making sure that we have the awareness. So when I say it's not about a dirty child and it's not about a child having blonde hair because they so they say that more children, you know, that have blonde hair have more lice, you know, it, it's not it's not about that. It's about the relative stress in the child's life that creates the chemicals that are emitted through the skin that has the lice become opportunistic on their head because you can be in the same house and Mary has lice but Billy doesn't. And they can be in the same room. They can be sitting at the table together. They can be sitting on a couch close together. And Billy doesn't, but Mary does. So you have to, just from that observation alone, it's not about, oh, isn't Billy lucky he doesn't have the lice and Mary's unfortunate. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's look at the host. 
let's look at what is actually happening in that child's world in order for us to um, change that host environment. So again, three T's or the move, eat, think. So what is Mary doing for exercise? So getting moving is really important, especially when you come out of the physical body at the age of seven, you want to continue to have something physical in your life. So playing sport is going to be a good thing. Just moving in nature and going for walks with your family or bike riding on the bike path, whatever that is, making sure the child is moving. And then you've got to look closely at diet because diets, you know, as we were alluding to before we got into the conversation on lice, diet is so important to, um, you know, the child's world at that age and, and on, ongoing on into adult and elderly age. So are they having um, processed foods? Are they eating lots of wheat, which inflames the body? Are they eating lots of dairy, which also inflames the body? Are they, um, uh, you know, addicted to sugar and constantly wanting um, sugary type foods? Are they eating packaged foods instead of made from scratch foods? So there's lots of conversations to be had around that. Um, around that alone, but suffice to say, it's important to make sure that. Um, well, I guess, you know, there's probably about seven things that we could go through. One is making sure that that child is getting adjusted for neurological integrity and also um, the understanding of we're self-healing, self-regulating and self-maintaining in our world and we're constantly changing. So therefore having a nerve system that can integrate is vitally important. The second thing would be not missing the opportunity to understand your child's world. So um, depending on the age, children aren't always able to explain things with the words that they use. So being a parent that questions or asks questions or has interest in something is going to help your child to open up. And that's not to say that as a parent we go, oh, don't be silly, Mary. You know, Sally doesn't do that in the playground. No, it's about if Mary has that concern, then I've always come from the position that as a parent, my job is to help them integrate that and understand that, whether that is true or whether that is not, because I see that this age group, they are more abstract and they start to create stories for themselves. And then the, um, the next thing would be the food that we've touched on, making sure that, you know, organic where possible, homegrown where possible, less packaged food, more made from scratch food, um, the next one would be getting rest, making sure that your child is having the rest after this, you know, major undertaking of change in their life where they are now at school age, then making sure that they are getting the appropriate rest. And I think nowadays kids are so overscheduled, you know, they're going from school and they're going straight to this practice and then they might be going to a music lesson or whatever it is. All of a sudden they're not home till six o'clock at night. They're having dinner late. They're not might not be in bed till way later. So there's no downtime to really um, allow the stress of the day and the frenetic energy of starting school um, subside. Um, the other the next one would be uh, getting moving, as I've alluded to before, if we're coming out of the physical body from the age of seven and moving into the chemical body, we, then we've got to keep that physical part going. So doing the sport at school, exercising, etc. 
Um, and then probably the last two would be making sure that we laugh. You know that laugh changes our insulin levels within our body. It's been it's been shown to do that. So making sure that we are doing comical things as a family and having a good belly laugh together mm. um, is is important. And then being loving. You know, I wrote an article about twelve hugs a day is is what we need in order to thrive in our life. So making sure that as a family dynamic we are you know, hugging whenever we get that opportunity um, to do so. So, I mean, they're just kind of like seven of ways in which we can help to decrease that stress to help change the environment of the child. Um, so it's, that such life... a, it's such a great way of looking at the world. <laughs> Thank because you. that's not just about lice, is it? Mm -mm. It's about lots of things, yeah. And that way you see it as lice as an opportunity because it's a symptom, not yep. a, something to be scrubbed out. And they're the ones that are coming in to help clean up the yes. head. You know, whatever the whatever the chemicals that are emitting, they're going to suck on, they're going to eat, they're going to lay eggs through because they want that. That's their nourishment. And when it's not there, like in Billy's case, they're gone to the next person who is emitting Amazing. those chemicals that smell like sweet essential oils to the lice. But, and but, so I suspect you'd say not to put the chemicals on your kid's head in the chemical shampoo. No, no, not not chemicals. So look, there are. Look, I can give you a, an example of what what a parent can do. But again, this is like taking a Panadol for pain. You know, it's just masking something. So, um, what you can do is you can wash. Uh, the the parent can wash the hair first, and then you get like about a twenty or a two dollar coin or a 50-cent piece of conditioner into your um, into the palm of your hand and then you put maybe about five drops of tea tree oil into that and then you mix it together and then you lather it through the hair. You leave it in the hair, then you hop out of the shower and then you can put put your hair, put the child's hair up in a shower cap and leave it kind of incubating in the tea tree and the conditioner for about 15 minutes. And then you don't wash it out, then you can just comb the lice out. But the tea tree is something that is very alienating to, to lice. So, I mean, that's just one example rather than having to have all of these medicated gels and, 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 and um, you know, uh, toxic shampoos onto the child's head. If you use something that, uh, like you could use an Echo Store um uh, conditioner, which is a conditioner that can be left in the hair, but it's not toxic to the body. And then your tea tree in a shower cap, comb. You can do it again if you want to the next day and the next day. And then they're, they're generally not there um, anymore. However, I will say that yes, that is a you know a panadol. It's a band aid. You haven't yet addressed the host. So that mm. example is like having the rubbish pile outside the nightclub and always put sprays and rat bait on and killed the rats. But you know what? More rats are going to come in because we haven't cleaned up the rubbish pile. Um, and the lice might be the least of the problems. Exactly. Yeah. 
tell me, you mentioned in your seven things. Yeah. You used a phrase, but it was like chiropractic for children each week. Manipulation, was it you said? Adjustment. Adjustment. Yeah. No one wants to be manipulated, Rodney. (laughs) Not in life, anyway. Yeah. I I was trying to get that word, adjustment. Adjustment, yes. And I recall you telling me this. And this is the idea that regularly a child should be adjusted. I struggle with this, Sarah. I really do. Because I think they're children. A, who's got the money for this? B, who's got the time for this? Who can be fagged? How come we've got through those wonderful-looking people in the 1930s? They weren't being adjusted each week. Is this OTT? What What is going on with the sudden need to adjust children each week? What is this about? Well, it's... it's uh... It's not relatively new. It's been around for, you know, almost 130 years that Mm -hmm. chiropractic has been um, adjusting children, you know, per se, and uh, and adults. So it has been around in the 30s. Um, But people might not have known about it or known the impact that it can have in a person's life. So if you have um, children when they're developing, develop the most at the first seven years of life. That's why it's about the physical body. At no other time in their life will they develop as much as what they have in that first seven years of life. So your nerve system is constantly changing and growing and developing. And so the, the um, I guess, the chiropractic profession is working in support of that nerve system so that you can be in a balanced state rather than having to go to the highs of the mountains and the lows of the valleys so that with a nerve system that is able to communicate itself, it's able to um, adjust to life into that self-healing, self-regulating, self-maintaining organism that's constantly adapting to to life and the nerve system is at the centre of that. So it's much like, um, I was going to use the analogy of a light glow, but I'm not sure if that would be. So so it's a little Mm five-year-old and I bring my little five-year-old to you. Yep. And you... Adjust, do an adjustment. That's yeah. the word. Yes. How long would that take? Uh, well, first appointment's always longer than than any of the other appointments, and then your um, your second appointment. You know, it depends. There's different models for how people come into mm-hmm. practice practices, but um, once you're undergoing um, adjustments, it's uh, it's not. I mean, it's not a long period of time. It's not like a half an hour um, appointment. You know, some okay. chiropractors are very fast. Others uh, take longer. So it depends on. And what would you do to that five-year-old? Uh, adjust them. <laughs> but what does that However, mean? There's, uh, so, there's, so there's about 80 different techniques in, in chiropractic. You know, so it's horses for courses. There are some that are very gentle in touch. There are some that are higher in force in touch. We kind of sit in the middle towards the, the lower force end than we do in the high force end. So we uh, we 
um, do neurological checks. So we would check leg length, we check hips, we check um, the total length of their spine, we check the upper part of their their neck, um, and then we use all of our knowledge base to make you know calculated and good decisions on where to adjust the body at that point in time um, based on what they are presenting on that particular appointment. And it, and you would like to see that child ideally once a week? Um, everyone's different, Rodney. Some, some children would be once a week, some maybe twice a week, some then eventually go out to monthly. So we have some people that are on... Uh, some families that we see that come in every month with all of their kids, some come in every week with their kids, some every two weeks. So it, it depends on what's going. There's no, for us at least, there's no cookie cutter, you know, like I'm going to see you now, for us, you know, after mm-hmm. again, after years of experience with people, it's very much for us uh, uh, um, an individual. Um, I'm going to keep pressing this point because, I love everything you say, and it resonates with me, and I'm just struggling with this. And I think too, Rodney, it's in order for people to come across to the chiropractic, this alternate understanding of approaching health, we've got to kind of park our understanding of the allopathic and even the alternative worlds to a degree, we've got to park them on the side because Mm. if we're coming across from the allopathic approach to chiropractic with an allopathic understanding, then that's when we become disappointed because why haven't I got the Panadol chiropractic adjustment? Like why is my pain still there? Why is my headache still there? Why hasn't this changed? Whereas people forget that's not we look we're working with the nerve system we don't have a crystal ball we have layers that we peel away and peel away and peel away so that you like an onion so that we can eventually get to the core essence of who you are where your stability lies so that you have less fluctuations in your life and life becomes a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fun than than riding the waves i see i mean i guess i'll do anything like any dad does for their kids. Yeah. And I'm feeling, oh, my goodness, I'm having this dad anxiety. I haven't had my kids ever adjusted. Oh, i got to rush out and have them adjusted. Oh, where do I go? Oh, what will it cost? How do I fit this in? And I'm actually having a wee dad attack. I'm triggered. (laughs) Because it's never a thing that's occurred to me. And then I think, how can my little kids need an adjustment? Um... What would that cost a, cost a trip for three kids to be adjusted? Well, again, it ranges on, you know, lots of people have different family packages that they may do. If, if you're coming in regularly as a family, um, there may be, you know, investment for four and then the fifth one is free. Um, the prices range anywhere from the mid-40s to 60s, depending on, but um, to 60, but, depending but, on but where the family or a child? Uh, that would be for an adult. So for a child, it's usually like $10 to $15 less than that. Again, I'm not speaking for the whole chiropractic. No, no, no. I'm just getting a feel um, because I'm, I'm mortified. I, I can do, I can do the lice. I yeah. can do the whole food. Yeah. I can do all that, but I'm thinking, oh, I've got to have them adjusted. Oh, oh. Uh, what would I notice 
if my children were being adjusted on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And again, it's different depending on what that child presents with. Um, one of the things that does change first that what I've, you know, kind of observed over the years of practice is that the mind changes first. So all of a sudden people are starting to think clearer. That's the adults with obviously the language that are able to communicate that. With children, what parents have noticed is that maybe, um, you know, Billy can be outside playing for longer than what he was before. Maybe he's spending more time jumping on a trampoline than what he's done before. Maybe he's not complaining about X, Y, or Z as much as what he has before. Maybe he's sleeping a lot, um, a, a lot more soundly than what he has in the past. Um, so they're, they're, they're all in sundry. And again, it's such an individual journey for, um, for a child and a parent um, when they're getting adjusted, that the changes are endless. You know, it's it's so uh, it's so um, vast in terms of what can change. And we always say to parents, you know, watch out for the change. Be the observer of your child and notice things that you may never have noticed before. If you wanted to give it a whirl, yeah. And so I love that. I want to give it a whirl. <laughs> well, you got grandkids or you got kids, and yeah. you say, you know, little Johnny is, I don't know, overly anxious or lacking concentration or seems a little unhappy. And you said, Well, I heard Dr. Fred, she's a very, very uh, sensible lady with lots of experience, and I trust her. And she's saying this is a thing. So I'm sceptical, but I'll give it a go. How long would you need to be doing it for to know whether this is a good thing? Oh, gosh. People can have immediate results after one adjustment, um, and it's and it's life-changing. People can have... Wow. People can have um, changes after one and a half months, you know, so it all depends on, you know, the layers. Move, eat, think. It all depends on the layers and layers and layers that someone comes in with that that is then the challenge to work out, you know, for us. I mean, that's what we're skilled in, right, that the, the knowledge of where to adjust, not necessarily the adjustment, but the knowledge of where to adjust and the conversations we have and the questions that we ask around that. So, for some people, it's life changing after one adjustment, and they're they're in for for their whole life because it's so impactful. And then others may take um, a little bit longer because you know when you peel away a, an onion, Rodney, and and sometimes the next layer is not clear; it's got that little black bit of mold kind of in it. Um, sometimes the body's like that, so we peel away a layer, and we don't know what we're going to get next. So it may take a couple of um, adjustment before people really go, wow, this is, okay, now I'm amazing. The the difference is, Rodney, is that when, if people are looking from a pain perspective, once you're, once that pain has subsided, we don't have a recollection of it. That's the way no. the brain works. It's kind of like no. childbirth, right? You don't no. have the recollection of the pain no. that you experience and the body's no different. So once someone's out of that, they forget what they were in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah, challenge. Right. It's like, hang on, do you remember where you were and where you are now? It's like, oh, okay. And, and would, a child, would a child then go, you go, oh, that was great. We had a good three months and they're right now. 
or would it be a thing that you might pop back regularly to have an adjustment? I, I am always an advocate of regular okay. because you're not going to eat broccoli once. You're not no. going to have salad once. You're not going to have it a couple of times a life. You're going to eat it because it's good for you. So chiropractic is good for the body because it works with your nerve system to keep you integrated, to keep you connected. And because you're a self-healing, self-regulating, self-regenerating organism that's constantly adapting to your environment, it's really important to make sure that we have that neurological connection for the greatest adaptation in your life. Well, I'm thinking of giving this a whirl. Great. I've got a couple of children that I think might benefit. But how then, when listening, does one go about finding a chiropractic nearby where we live? Do we just look up the yellow pages? <laughs> <laughs> do we just Google it? Yellow yeah, pages look, is so funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do we just Google it or do we ask about how do you find a good chiropractic because I imagine it's like everything there are good builders and not so good builders yeah sure yeah and that's exactly right so there's a couple of different things um there is the New Zealand Chiropractic Association. So if mm -hmm. you go on there, you can put in your uh, area and it will come up with a list of chiropractors. So you could start there. The people do email us. I kind of request um, don't do that because I just don't have the time to no, find. No. I'm not a, like a um, you're not a dating a finding sure. service. No. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have the time to do that. However, if people are in a pickle, I can, you know, do my best to uh, work that out. But what I do say to people is that go to our website at vital-wellbeing.com and read the website so that people understand what language that we're using and mm. then they will find something of similar ilk when they go to someone else's um, you know, website um, that they may read. They may go, oh, okay, that seems like it might have a similar feel to um, to Sarah and Randall. So um, that's another way that that um, someone can do it. Word of mouth within your community is always a great way to to um, to get uh, an insight as the chiropractors in your area. I, I do say, Rodney, that. I went and got my hair cut once and I didn't like it, but it didn't stop me from getting my hair cut again. I just went and found mm -hmm. another hairdresser that I liked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with chiropractic. If you are not happy with your chiropractor, don't give up. Just go and find someone that you feel might be more attuned to your current understanding of health and then they will set you on a journey and as you move and evolve you may move on from that chiropractor and go to another chiropractor and that's okay because we are you know we are students and teachers and teachers and students and um, the important thing is to find someone and get started to have that experience for yourself. As you know because we've had this conversation offline but my dear mother in her 90s, who was a highly sceptical person and um, in the sense that, you know, she didn't suffer BS, she in her 90s would hop in her little car on her own and drive all the way across Auckland and then up onto the North Shore across the bridge to her lovely and favourite 
chiropractor. And she found it extraordinary. Mm. And she was a woman who wasn't into woo-woo, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so that had a dramatic impact on my thinking. Even so, if we'd been having this conversation six months ago, I wouldn't have, I would have understood everything that you were saying up until this adjustment, regular adjustment. But a little girl, my little girl was suffering anxiety. It was terrible. It was debilitating. Mm. And a friend of a, a friend said, I've got a friend who can help. So I, I felt a bit caught. Oh, okay. And this friend was duly in the lo locality and came over very kindly and did this contact therapy and adjustment. Oh, my goodness. Transformed my little girl. Mm. That's what's got me thinking about it. Mm. And when... I was there while she was doing this adjustment and it was almost hypnotic. Mm. It was the words, it was the manipulation, and I don't know, and the lady herself says, I don't know how it quite works. But mm. my little girl, over the next two, three, four weeks, even to this day, six months on, has got better every day. Mm. And I'm looking at that and thinking, yeah, well, there's coincidences, yeah, there's, you know, psychology, <laughs> but she's a different, better person as a result. Mm. So that's why I say I think I'm going to give this a whirl. Doctor well, now, um, our, you know, our eldest client is 92 My and regularly every week gets adjusted with his wife and uh, our youngest is was a newborn baby just a few hours old that we adjusted last month. So it's My in the hospital. Goodness. So it's it's that's the that's why we optimize the health of generations because we are covering the full gamut of people um, oh within goodness. their life. Yeah. Well, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's been real talk with Rodney Hyde. We've had the wonderful uh, Dr. Sarah Ferrant. Uh, <laughs> vital well-being. Look her up. She's got me thinking. And rather than feeling now, I started off feeling, oh, I'm a failure. You know, it's a bit like you haven't eaten enough broccoli um, or you had too much sweet things and I had a moro bar and you just feel bad. <laughs> I was feeling that way, but now I see it as an opportunity to be uh, a better dad and improve my kids' lives. And it's wonderful to have that opportunity. I thank you for joining us. I thank you for sharing with us um, your wealth of experience <laughs> and the fact that I think I probably pushed you quite hard, almost like a politician, because I want to get to the <laughs> bottom okay. of that adjustment. <laughs> You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Aren't we blessed with the wonderful guests we have and their experience of their world? And I would say, best of all, their humanity, their love for people and their community. We're very, very blessed. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I always say we're blessed with our guests. Well, we're doubly blessed this morning. Doubly blessed because we have 
two uh, lady guests, not just one, but doubly blessed because, oh, my goodness, they are extraordinary women doing extraordinary things, and we're all going to feel a little bit inadequate. Uh, we've got Ginny Devol. I got your name right? Yep, you did. Now, I started reading on your webpage. Oh, my goodness. Like, you're an adventurer that sea kayaks hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres all around Fiordland. I did, yes. And then tramp and walk, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, how do you begin to do that? I'm going to come back to that. And you're sea kayaking, and then you're tramping. Then you produce the most vibrant and brilliant art. It just jumps out at you. It's beautiful art. It is stunning art. Thank and I've you. got you on my show. I truly can't believe it. So this is the background to this. And then <clears throat> I thought, oh, and there's some lady with you coming on, Maria Custer. And I thought, oh, I didn't I didn't think that she's related to the Custer at Custer's last day. No. I thought, oh, what does she do? Oh, Maria, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Lovely to be here. Do you know, I went on to your webpage. Is the webpage pure salt or salt? Pure salt. Pure salt. Pure salt. Yes. Having been blown away by these magnificent pictures, I was put on the floor by your webpage, and I encourage everyone to go to both these webpages. Ginny Duvall for the art and for the story and Pure Salt for the wonderful videos. They are sensational videos, Maria. Well done. Well, it's, it's not us. It's a place and the people and the videos are beautiful. It is a place. Showcasing people's different versions of experiencing the it, place. It is a place because the place that you're at is a remote place of New Zealand. I imagine most New Zealanders could hardly couldn't place it on the map, let alone have been there. Yeah, and it's called Dusky Sound. Yeah, Tamatia Dusky Sound, um, and Tamatea. not just in Tamatia Dusky Sound. We we operate um, charters all around Fiordland and Stewart Island. And you're quite right. I think most most Kiwis go to that, that that really far away place, and they might have heard of Milford Sound. You know, tourism and buses going forwards and backwards, and they might have gotten as far as Queenstown, but down to Tamatia Dusky, there is no roads. Um, the only way you get in is by helicopter or by boat, maybe float plane if you've got a good day, or sea kayaking around the coast if you're so inclined. What brought you to Dusky Sound and to the cruise business there? That's a very long story. Um, but We've got time. Well, let's say um, nothing in life is really linear, at least not the things that are worth doing, I believe. Um, and that's the same with my partner and my journey to start Pure Salt in Fjordland. I've done all sorts of things from um, just travelling, you know, backpacking around the place and falling in love, and that's going about 20 years back now. Um, I got to New Zealand as a sweet 18-year-old with a backpack um, and absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And even back then, um, Fjordland kind of stuck to me. And I think you'll find that with anyone that has spent any amount of time in remote parts of Fjordland, 
there's something that you can't quite wrap your the right words around to describe. It touches something. Um, that that wild place, that scale and you in it. And even back in much sweet 18, um, I connected with that. And that stuck with me and kept pulling me back. And eventually, um, through accumulation of all sorts of skills and just deciding to wanting to do certain things, um, before you know it, you have your own boat and fuel and then you get to connect other people with a place that you care about. So I don't know how much detail and how far you will dive into that. No, that captures it. And I have to say... (laughs) Even the video, the, well, the videos, I shouldn't say even the videos, because the videos are so stunning. But they make you fall in love with Dusky Sound. And, of course, we know the landscape of Fiordland. Well, I do. I haven't been to Dusky Sound, but I know the landscape. And you know nothing quite captures it. No, it doesn't no. capture the feeling or the panorama or the size of it. But those videos, they drew me in to the place. You yes. had an artist on the video who said, Wow, it was wonderful. What was his name, Morrison? Um, Til, Tim Wilson. Tim a Wilson. A friend of ours, yes. And he was saying, here he was. Let's just say he wasn't a sweet 18-year-old. And he was <laughs> saying that by going to Dusky Sound, it had sort of like given him a whole new set of brushes and and palette to do art with. And I thought that is so stunning. And I think it was him. One of the guests said, you sort of expect the pterodactyl to sort of fly into Dusky Sound, that it's such a remarkable place. Yes. Yes. That's his, that is his words. And it's even for especially him, he has painted those landscapes his entire life. So he knows the place intimately and to even still experience new facets and find new details uh, that's what I mean by it's really hard to describe explain or what what paint what what it is because it's different for everyone and even for us after you know 20 years in the place I still find different shades I still find different views different feelings um that connection grows stronger and it's really hard to explain that and lovely to hear that that video gets that for you and that's really what what Mm. we're trying to do we're trying to connect people to the place by whatever means possible and um, that's quickly and the art comes in too yeah we've got a lot to cover so i'm going to try because i'm just in awe of you both and what you do truly and but if i'm listening to the show or I'm me, and I say, I just want to go there. I just want to see that. I want to feel that. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't, I can't ocean kayak. Uh, I can't climb a mountain. But I'm going to jump on a plane to Queenstown, hire a car, and drive to Now, What could I then do with pure salt? Well, you want to think ahead because generally um, people come on board with us for five or six nights at a time. Yes. So you just imagine 27-metre ex-Navy vessel, yep. um, only 12 people at the time, and absolutely no schedule and itinerary. So what you do whilst you're there is totally up to the people, the weather and the tides, and it kind of develops. 
um, kind of like a floating batch on the water with all your toys on board. So there's kayaks and paddle boards and scuba gear and free diving equipment and fishing gear to go catch. And we can go on land, go walking, do conservation work, watching photography, whatever it might be for you. Lots of history around. But it's really just a, quite literally and, and not literally a vessel to connect people with place. Um, all sorts of people come for all sorts of reasons, and it's all Kiwis. We don't do international tourism. So it's not people coming from all over the world to see this. This is us connecting Kiwis with the places they call home. Is that a choice you make? Consciously, um, because for for us it is about looking after place. And if a Kiwi comes on board, firstly the, the batch mentality is quite natural, you know, um, and secondly – any any connections made and any understanding around conservation work needed or tool development needed or full utilization around fishing or how to make a broth, the smallest of things, people don't take that away into the other end of the world. It is then relevant to their own backyard. It is something they can take Good home goodness. and it My ripples. Goodness. And over the 15 years that we've been doing chartering one form or another, you know, we've seen families growing up. There's people that, you know, have followed us through different vessels before we started our own business. And it's relationship building that comes with it. You know, we run the boat with people. By the time day three or four comes around, everybody, you know, helps with the dishes. And if they walk inside with shoes on, they'll grab the vacuum cleaner and have a tidy up. You know, they help to get in the kayaks up and down. And, and you have, it's yeah. all about people. It's not a it's not a product. We don't wait on people hand and foot. We're just connecting people. And could I book on one of these connections to nature as an individual? Yep, we do both. So most of what we do is chartering. So one one person will book the whole boat for the group. Um, and then so no, no, but like what like what I'm saying is, you take twelve people. Yep. But would you match me with another eleven? Yes. So um, we call that joiner groups. So. Okay that people can then book on an individual basis and just join. But, again, it's it's all Kiwis, so people from all and, over the yeah. place. And good chance you know someone that knows someone. Yeah. And where do you sleep? Um, on board. So there is a number of cabins around. Um, four of them are all doubles uh, with a single above, so it could be two singles or, or a couple in a, in a cabin with their own bathrooms. And then there is a family quad as well, so that's four single beds with a, their own bathroom as well really comfortable it's it's a home on the water it's not a, a fishing boat that you got to make do while you're out there like you got comforts there's a hot tub on the top deck you know we've got a washing no machine way. and dryers and heating all the way through and really seriously good food you know all the stuff with the comfort so it doesn't matter how uncomfortable you get while you get yourself out of outside your comfort zones exploring the place you can always come back and you know get your core temperature back up and be homely and happy again well that would be I suspect, a trip of a lifetime. For many it is, and many think it is just a trip of a lifetime and then surprised that they keep coming back. It might not be every year, it might be every two or three years, but um, what quite often happens is I might get a proper boys' trip come along all about hunting, fishing, diving, and then they realise, actually, this is comfortable enough and there's so much more to the place. I'd love to share this with my family. And they bring their family back or they bring their business partners back in terms into a team building event, um, corporate get togethers, or they decide that actually photography is it. Let's, you know, come on board with an expert on that. Um, there's so many different ways of exploring it. Last year, 
uh, I'm not really an outdoorsy person, but last year, my children, primary school age, and my wife dragged me up and down the hills mm -hmm. in the Milford Track. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't believe it. When I was young, I did a lot of tramping. And I was sort of a bit dreading this because I thought I might get puffed going up some hill and have to lie down and call a helicopter or something. But I, I did it okay. But I could not believe how beautiful Milford Track is. I could not believe it. The, every step was stunning. Beautiful. And I'd heard it was his greatest walk and all the rest was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's sort of advertising and marketing. And I imagine Dusky Sound is next level. Again, there's the, the, the bush is still pretty well untouched. At first glance, um, the bush you look at and the scenery and the landscape is exactly what Murray would have, you know, paddled through, exactly what Cook sailed into in 1773. So being able to be out there with relatively few others around um, definitely puts things into perspective. So going for walks on the island is pretty special. You can see where Captain Cook parked his boat. Is that what you say? They don't park a boat, do they? <laughs> You can see where he moored his boat for some time, I believe. Yes. There's still there are trees they cut that you can see or something like is that true? Yep, absolutely. Pickerskill Harbour. So astronomers point where they cleared the cleared the point. Um you can still see the tree stumps and you can still see where the very first fix was taken, New Zealand soil and you know, the names are left all over the place. I mean Maui Kato Resolution Island because he sailed the resolution in there. Pukanui Anchor Island because he anchored just off Anchor Island. Everything is quite literal. If you start going through, you can literally follow wow. the journey all the way. And what about signs of Maori habitation? Um, there's a there's a little bit around. There's actually just recently was a good article in New Zealand Geographic around that. Um, Nick Lowe um, started to follow the or try to reconstruct the lost tribe. Um, off Fjordland because there's lots and lots of stories um, and often linkages missing. So he went on a journey trying to link them all up. So there's a bit of that around as well. If you have a copy as well, worth reading. And the Takahi, was that somewhere around Dusky Sound or further away that it was discovered in 1948? No, um, rediscovered in the Murchison Mountains. So um, just across Lake Tiana. So not okay. quite that far south. Okay. Now, Ginny, Ginny. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I look, it's so tough because I could talk to you ladies and I, it's such a privilege for me because um, I get to talk to you on behalf of our uh, listeners and they'll be sitting there saying, ask them this, ask them this, ask them this. And, and I can ask you questions and you sort of obliged to answer because you're on the show. <laughs> How did you decide to go sea kayaking around Fiordland? It was like, I would look at that and think, this is very, very dangerous and scary and lonely. Mm. That's also quite a long story. Um, <laughs> Ladies are full of long stories. Yeah. Um, my. I always get the feeling that in the background there's a boy, if you know what I mean. I don't know. But carry oh. on. Romance. But anyway, carry on. So we were both working as sea kite guides in the Coromandel. Um. And... The year, a couple of years before, 
we had got in our kayaks and paddled up the east coast of Coromandel and out to Great Barrier Island. And then we got a ride on a fishing boat over to Kawa Island and, and then carried on up the Northland coast. And we had a great time. We spent five weeks. You could have done it. I mean, you could do it in a couple of weeks, but we literally went out in and out of every cave and tunnel and stopped at most beaches and just discovered the whole coastline. And it was awesome. And so I definitely got the bug and wanted to go on a longer journey. So you're, rowing, you're, you're, you're rowing along, right? And yeah. your arms must get excruciatingly tired and your bum gets sore or you just get used to it and you get into a rhythm. And you well, I do these days, but back then we were guiding every day, so it was just, it was normal. Another day. It was just another day. And you pull in somewhere, a remote, remote, remote A or beach, just you, and you camp there. Yeah. And light a wee fire and cook a fish. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, one night we um we heard kiwis. This is just north of the Bay of Islands. We heard kiwis up on the hill all night long and then woke up in the morning there were tracks going round and round our tent on the beach. Amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, we um we wanted to do a longer trip. And at the time there was, so it was 2012 that we did the, the Fiordland paddle. I can't remember off the top of my head the company, but they there was there was a group giving away a grant to New Zealanders that wanted to go on journeys, but then to come back and share share that in some way with the public. And the goal was to promote healthy risk taking in New Zealanders and adventure, and also making helping to make it accessible to everybody and to seem achievable to live an adventurous life to everybody. And so that that sounded pretty cool. And so we thought and thought about what we could do and paddling around Fiordland seemed like a, a pretty cool adventure, but maybe not quite enough. And the Coast to Coast was on at the time. And so we thought, well, how about we just do our own Coast to Coast, but we'll just we'll do it the long way from the south to the north coast. So that's how it started. And we applied and we did all the paperwork and we applied for this grant and we ended up getting shortlisted, but we didn't get it. Oh. And uh, and so the plan was always to write a book and paint about it. And um, we'd done all this planning, so, I mean, couldn't let it go to waste. So we ended up doing it anyway. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was three months. And, um, again, you could have done it so much faster. But, um, yeah, it was more about being there than it was to get to the end. And um, we had two rules right from the start that we'd always stick together. That um, And if it wasn't fun, we'd stop. Mm, um, that's a good yeah, rule. Yeah, it was just no good rules. always fun. We're just, we had the stack of maps and we'd just pull out a couple of maps and then we'd paddle off the end and get the next one and we'd never really looked too far ahead. We looked at the weather and we planned where we'd, we planned to be in a hut whenever there was bad weather, but, you know, we might have like a three or a four or a six-day window and in that time we would just go exploring, catch and fish. Bad, bad weather's another level of bad weather down there, isn't it? We got the best summer. Oh, really? We got the best summer ever. We went snorkeling at Persica Point, which is, um, for those that don't know, Persica Point's the southwestern corner of New Zealand. There's a lighthouse there, and uh, it's one of the roughest places in the country. It's the Southern Ocean. There's usually huge swell, and um, our photos make it look like a tropical island. 
That's too funny. Yeah, you you know any weather forecast, you always end up going storm warning, 60 knots, But yeah, we got a, we did get a few waves and we did get a few storms, but um, overall we were, we were very lucky. Well, it must make you very resourceful and resilient because you'd have to plan and rely on yourself for food, water and shelter. Yeah, we had a couple of food drops. We had a friend come in and join us at um, Doubtful Sound. Yeah. Um, so she paddled from Doubtful to Milford. She had a, a really <laughs> she had very vague instructions from me to meet me at Doubtful somewhere around the state and bring lots of food. <laughs> and, yeah, she was there. And so, yeah, she brought in this food. Is and like, this is like Daniel Boone, isn't it? You know, you're exploring the frontier. And you sort of arrange to meet someone, give or take a month or so. Oh, and she was so brave coming in. So she had no idea what she was getting herself into. She was, um, yeah, she's so brave. We and had a great white follow us, and uh, she got seasick, and she had a capsize, and um, that was definitely a, a big adventure. Be good bonding for your partner and you too, right? You'd find yeah. out what you're both your compatibility yeah yeah um, and your art tell me about your art i know we've got a big topic coming up but i want to just get the bit of yeah throat clearing tell um, me about your art how did that come about where does that come from i come from a very artistic family um lots of creatives all different and um, i grew up in a tiny house with just drawing and painting materials around and lots of projects around and it was just such a normal valuable thing to do and so and I was always drawn to it so I was always drawing and painting and then um, left in my sort of later teenage years and early 20s and went traveling and got really into the outdoors and once I started sea kayak guiding and was living in a flat up here in the Coromandel I started painting again but um, there was much room in the flat on a rainy day, I was between the pool table and the piano and in everybody's way. And on a nice day, I'd just pack up a canvas and paints and walk around the coast and go and paint. But I definitely felt like I enjoyed it, but I didn't really have a, a why, why I was doing it. And uh, we did that sea kayak trip up the coast of Northland in the Coromandel. And then the following summer, all my paintings were about that trip. And I got about, I must have been in about six or seven paintings before I even realised that that's what I was painting about. And it kind of all just took off from there once I had that that reason why. So, um, Well, go so search, dear listeners. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Go to the webpage, uh, Guinea Deval, D-E-A. Now, the first word is, I'm <laughs> going to see if I spell it right, G-I-N-N-E-Y. Yeah, Ginny. And Ginny. And uh, Deval, D-E-A-V-O-E. L, one L. Two L's. Two L's, two L's. And you will see this vibrant, beautiful, wonderful art that just lifts your spirit. So thank you for that. Now, Maria, I know a mad German from down your way, Arno. Oh, yes, he lives just down the road from us. Well, give him my very best <laughs> regards because – he wasn't content to canoe or kayak around field, and he tried to swim it. Yes, yes. He's not the first crazy person to do it, and I'm sure he will eventually. Isn't that something? 
Yes. I love that guy so much because he's so um we're having a sort of private conversation on here now. He is so um doesn't care what he says or what people might think when he says it. <laughs> Just and he does backpacking kayaking or something, doesn't he? Where um, you what's it called? Pack rafting. Pack rafting. So, yeah, another form of adventure. So you actually carry your inflatable kayak, if you wish, on your back. So you can go overland and then, you know, paddle across a lake and down rivers and along the coast, if you wish to. Yes. So, really he, cool. I, I got to meet him through, uh, I'm a, my kids took up ski racing and I, I worked as a judge and he's a big time uh, race timer. So he does mm -hmm. race timing and I enjoy his company enormously he's just a character of the highest highest wonderful proportions it makes my makes a, a cold day fun to have Arno around and you must enjoy him because he's a fellow German um yes and no actually we were looking at doing um, one of his pack rafting courses with our crew a while ago um just as something fun to do because he's really really good at actually skill building prior to getting yourself mm. an adventure it's a bit like what Ginny was saying actually calculated risk and not just go mm. off and off and do stuff um, and he's also a really good friend of another friend of ours, um, Rusko, who runs kayaking adventures in, in Milford Sound, another wonderful human. So it's it's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah, what a place. Well, now, this is where we get to the remarkable bit. If you thought the show was pretty exciting and these ladies live amazing lives and here's us, nine to five, get the bus, go to work, come home, get the kids from school, go to work. They're living in Coromandel and Dusky Sound, painting and cruising around. They built their life, wonderful life. But they're giving such a lot back, and not just to the community, but to nature, and not just for the here and now, but forever. Because you have a project called Pure Salt. Is that the project's name, Pure Salt? Well, Pure Salt is a company. And the way we look at it is really just a construct to let us do the things that we're passionate about. And mm -hmm. one of the things we're passionate about is giving back to place, like you were saying. So for Tamatia Dusky, there's this wonderful overall vision that was put together by Doc um, to go for full ecosystem restoration of all of Tamatia Dusky to be one of the most intact ecosystems on Earth. You're talking over 700 islands and you're talking about the seventh largest island in New Zealand, massive area. And to restore it to a point where it can act as a biobank for the rest of New Zealand. So everything within the ecosystem is so healthy that you can actually sustainably relocate those species to other places in New Zealand where all this wonderful work is being done to towards predator-free to repopulate. So kind of imagine it like Noah's Ark sort of a scenario that we're looking after um, whilst the rest of the country gets ready, um, which is also really special because that essentially still goes back to Richard Henry days in the late 1800s, the very first person to be in, employed as a conservation worker in New Zealand, um, right back when uh, Maikato Resolution Island was first made a nature reserve. So he was employed to row around in his little boat and collect flightless birds from the mainland and put them on the islands for exactly the same reason, to look after them until we sorted out our problem with mustelids. So in a way, the, the overall vision has has carried on and still holds true with a lot more momentum to it. So um, all we do is 
live in our corner of this huge chunk of work and trying to connect as many people as possible to it because this might be this faraway corner in the southern part of New Zealand, but it's something that we're doing all together and for the whole country. So um, that's... And you've started with a couple of islands, am I right? Yes. So we knew about the vision and we, we'd known that there's beautiful work being done and we've noticed differences in the bird life locally, even just within 15 years, which is no time at all in the scheme of things. So um, we simply approached our local dock office and said, hey, you know, which corner can we live? Which piece of the puzzle can we help with? And they pointed onto a small little island, uh, Mamaku Indian Island, um, and said, oh, see if you can put some traps onto that, put a red grid on it. Poison didn't work, so let's give that a shot. So um, we did, and we put a full grid on it in about eight months, which we learned What's later. A full, what, what, what does a full grid mean? You put a full grid on it. What does that mean? So the basically the spacings in which you put your traps, which okay. is all about the home ranges of the animals you're targeting. So um, for rats, that's about 50 to 100 meters. So the widest you want to go is 100 by 100, ideally 50 by 50. So on that island, on Mamaku Indian, we now have a trap every, um, every 50 to 100 meters. In some places, every 25 meters in intense mm-hmm. areas. So it's coming up to 500 traps over an island that's only 170 hectares, if people are into numbers, yeah. <laughs> just for scale. Um, so we put that whole grid of traps on there just before that big mask year hit uh, in 2018, where everything just went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and found out afterwards that apparently that sort of project should take you about a year and a half, two years to complete. Um but we didn't know what we didn't know, which was a really good thing and which we continue to think is quite a good thing. So um, that's doing really well. And So you, uh, you, when you're doing these grids and putting these traps in, this isn't walking through a paddock. No, no, a long way from it. Trap <laughs> down. This is treacherous bush and tough terrain. Yes. So, like... You're looking at it and you say, oh, I'm supposed to put my trap up that. Can you sort of cheat a bit and have it back? Well, there's there's a bit of a process there. You you, you might have gone walking and you see traps and boxes and you're walking your little track uh, wherever it might be. But yeah. yeah, someone sits at a computer to start with and goes, okay, where do these traps need to be to make sure that there's a trap in every single animal's home range so you're not missing gaps, right? Yeah. It's a bit like a fishing net. You, you yeah. want to make sure that you don't have gaps. And then someone else goes into the bush with that theoretical trap position and where the tracks need to go and does what uh, we call ground truthing. So you actually make sure you can actually physically get there. It might be a bluff in the way. So you've yeah. got to shift a little. Um, so you put flagging tape through um, and make sure that the lines are actually doable. And then another crew goes in with chainsaws and they then chainsaw it all. And someone else follows that crew and they put triangles up so you can easily follow the tracks. And then you need to get traps into the place, which in our case is all flown in by helicopter. And then um, uh, rather s- strong and stubborn humans put pack frames on their back and carry um, a couple, sometimes three of those tracks through the bush, actually deploying them. And then you start the ongoing work of checking those traps. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of people's passion, a lot of people's sweat and tears, and a lot of people's energy that have gone into it. 
So when you say that we have a project, the we is a very, very large one. And there's a lot of people that have come before us and we need the next generation to carry it on after us. This is solely a point in time. And it's a chance for us to gather momentum so that, you know, there's less to do down, down the track. Who are these people that are doing the work? Um, it's a combination. So the work that we are doing is all funded out of pure salt, but the work on the ground, the physical humans, is mostly volunteers. So that is people that have been connected to us, is people that um, are clients of ours that come back volunteering, um, that is people that hear about the project and say, hey, I'd love to come on. That's people that normally get paid for this work and decide to come do it for free because of this place being so unique, because of the Tamatea dusky sound vision as an overall and the connection to the rest of the country. Um, and comes back to that same special connection to that place, that, those heartstrings that are being drawn on, um, people naturally want to give. And I think you said it was a 500 traps on that island? Um, on that island it is, yes. And it's 170 um, hectares? Yes. Um, and we've also since put cameras on. Um, game track cameras is a relatively new thing that we're all still learning about. And as we put, first, put the first one on, um, within a month or so, we saw kiwi in front of it. And nobody knew there was kiwi on the island. Um, so since then, we've got oh, a... That's interesting, isn't it? Because they obviously didn't fly there. No. Um, it's hard it's, to imagine them swimming there. Yes. But the really cool thing is very likely that they would have been relocated back in the late 1800s by Richard Henry. So it's, again, that full loop carrying wow. on. And um, they've just eked out... Despite all the predation, they've eked out a existence there. Absolutely, and and with uh, and with the work that everyone is doing, they will flourish. Uh, and they are already. So to start with, we only saw a handful here and there, and now we're seeing them in front of all but one camera, including little juvenile fluff balls, which is really cool. Um, and the other thing that's really cool is before we started on the island, there was a trust that years beforehand had tried dropping poison on the island because it was really hard terrain and they didn't think it was trappable. And they celebrated predator-free, which was wonderful because they also got rid of the mice. And on the back of that, they reintroduced robin. Um, but there was never really uh, an incursion network in place. So um, naturally, predators flooded back onto the island and the work wasn't carried on, which is when we came on the scene. Okay. Um, so, so we... This incursion, what's an incursion network to stop them getting well, Having a network that will catch whatever comes back on. So there was a couple of traps on the perimeters, but um, because rats and stoats swim. So if that's not checked regularly or not big enough, then that, that won't mean, mean much. So now with us having a solid network on the island, um, those numbers can be kept low consistently. So it's a so perimeter. Exactly. Um, but what's really cool is because we've kind of had that history that we inherited now looking after this place, um, originally there was still a handful of robin around. You came, came across them occasionally, and now they're just all over the island, and they're naturally setting over to the neighbouring island, Long Island. So you heard me talking about this biobank concept before where you can sustainably relocate and take to other places. They're doing it by themselves. They're essentially spilling over to the next island. So that's really and you, cool. On that island, you won't have deer or rabbits, I'm mm. guessing. 
Um, not rabbits, but deer swim. Um, ah. And we also have rats at low levels and the occasional stoat coming through. Okay. So for anyone listening, or if you've had anything to do with um, with networks, you generally look at not just having dead things under traps. You also want to look at what are you protecting um, and what's still left after you had your dead things under the traps, right? Yeah. So you want to detect what's there. Um, prior and after monitoring outcome as well. So have you heard of tracking tunnels or rat tracking? No, I've heard of nothing. Okay. Um, Really rudimentary. It's a very basic tool, but the only reason it it works is because it's been used for years and years across projects, so it becomes comparable, okay? So we have um, 60 tracking tunnels across the island. Really simple. Just imagine like a, a little black plastic tunnel that set out in transects across your island. And um, every every four months, we go through and we put a white card into that tunnel that has a black ink pad in the middle. And in that ink pad, you put a bit of peanut butter and you leave them out overnight. So if you, any sort of pest comes on through, on the way to get the peanut butter, they pick up ink on their feet and then trample it through the, the white card, different sort of paintwork really. <laughs> um, and then when you collect your cards, you just count each each count of predator, if you like, as a percentage of the overall amount of cards that you have out. Mm. So we have 60 tracking tunnel cards out. If um, six of those cards would have a red footprint on, we would be having 10% red tracking across the island. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's one footprint or if it's black because it's run through it's still the same count. So it's just the indicator. So 0% doesn't mean that there's absolutely no rats around, but it becomes comparable. And another reason that that's quite an important thing to understand is generally um, in the paperwork side of things when it comes to conservation, 5% is regarded as good for your natives. So if you manage to get your rat tracking, your background predator tracking to 5% or lower, it's generally said that your natives will thrive. It's quite good for context and it's also good to know because if you want to start filling those biodiversity gaps because we're talking about ecosystem restoration, then that becomes important for relocations. So um, for us, we started with over 30% tracking at that mask year, just on that little island. And for the last four years running, we've been 5% or lower. Wow, good on you. Multiple zeros, including the last check, just at the end of um, January, start of February which is really cool and heaps of anecdotal changes of, you know, kakariki now all over the island and there's kaka around and more robins seen, you know. So And the vegetation, does that change? Um, yes. As soon as, um, you know, there's less deer around, everything starts coming through. It's a massive difference between the mainland and the islands that have been um, predator controlled for deer for a long time, like Pukanui Anchor Island, home of Kakapo, which is literally just around the corner. Um, the, the vegetation is thick. You can't see far which is how it's supposed to be. And the traps, how do they work? Is it poison or do they get their head chopped or what happens? <laughs> I like um, the gory bits. The gory bits, all right. Um, well, on the on the dispatching side, um, there's a number of different traps around. So we run mostly A24s, which are produced by Good Nature, a New Zealand company, and they're self-resetting. Um, so... They have a little bolt in them and a little CO2 canister that um, fires through and resets. Mm. So 
they can be set for six months out. We choose to do it every four months because we have quite harsh conditions on our bait. So um, that those are fantastic because you're not just having a single action and then your trap is useless. Um, they can, you know, repeat and repeat. We've found up to seven rats under one trap over that, over those last years and threes and fours were common. Um, and does a trap is for a particular pest or will that trap catch lots of different types of pests? Like, would it get a stoat? Um, uh, there's there's two answers to that. In principle, a, a trap type targets a specific animal. So those A24s were designed for rats. Um, so Sorry, for stoats, but they catch rats really effectively as well. Mm. Uh, much like your Doc 200, those classic wooden boxes you see all around the place, mm-hmm. um, they're really good for stoats, but they also catch your rats. So it depends on how you set your, your treadle sensitivity, if you like. So the mm. thing that sets it off, if it's really lightweight, it will even catch a mouse. But mm. you don't want to have a mouse in your trap when you could have had a stoat type thing if that's what yeah. you're targeting. Um, and then we also run snap traps, which are kind of like your a really big booty mouse trap. Um, so it's not just a silver bullet. Not one thing will ever solve all your problems. Um, mm. <laughs> it's a multitude and, of things. And <laughs> and these rats are accumulating in the bottom of the trap. And they're falling out of it, and then ah. serve as extra bait. And others will come through and drag them out and um, pick them up. Oh, and yeah, our cameras are telling us the same thing. And you have to service the traps every four months. Yes, yeah. So three, yeah, minimum three times a year we go and do a trip to just service that network. Plus, we've also since taken on to um, Long Island to you know solve free invasion. So that's the next island over, which is about two thousand hectares, to kind of give you an idea of scale. Um, and we've also just added um, Pigeon Island to our community agreement with Doc, which is where Richard Henry lived in late 1800s, just to protect them from potential rat incursion. And halfway through that, about three years ago, we also um, added Maui Carter Resolution Island to our community agreement to help out with extra trap checks wherever we could. And that's there's over 20,000 hectares worth of territory with you know, over 4,000 right. traps on it. So if you're to numbers, it, it gets quite big quite quickly. Yes. You're listening to Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. We're talking to Maria Custer and we're talking to Jenny Duval. What a story. What a life. But what an amazing contribution back to New Zealand and to the world of our biological past. Now, you'll always have those traps on the island. Like you don't get to a point and you say, fuel, no more ratty rats. I can remove all the all the traps because they can swim. You're always going to have a perimeter and a need to catch them, right? Absolutely. It's ongoing. That's what I said. We're only looking at a point in time mm. because we don't yet have the tools to put our tools down and walk away. Mm. Um, and your, your vision... Mm-hmm. is to do this right across Dusky Sound. The vision is to do this across all 700 islands, but that is... Oh, where... the islands, not the, the sort islands. of mainland part. No, because as that goes back to the whole Noah's Ark idea. Yes. All we're doing is we're holding ground until we have the tools to do it properly throughout all of New Zealand. And the, the tool the tool question is quite an important one because when you're talking about the, liking the gory bits and the, the killing things, that's one aspect of it. 
the dispatching of whatever predators you're looking at. But there's so much more room to learn how to even attract them into those tools. How can you detect what's there, what's not there, when to when to actually react, especially when you start scaling it up over landscapes. So learning more about how we can look after every single corner of New Zealand whilst we're holding ground on these islands is a really big focus of ours. And um, that's where, you know, the likes of Jenny's work and involving people and investing that comes in. And we do a lot of work on that on Taumoana Five Fingers, which is part of my Okata resolution as well, around cameras, AI development, sonic lures, um, different uh, different baits, different lures, um, dealing with different projects and sharing questions and sharing resources and answering those questions. Mm. Because what we know is we don't really know a lot. I had a friend telling me that his son works for Doc and they're using drones at night and the drones can detect like uh, deer and uh, other pests, big things, I guess, and that they can identify through thermal imaging sort of the species and then they can tell the shooters this is where they are and yes. off they go. And you can imagine getting to a point in time where maybe – Maybe they can do that now. Drones can actually detect rats and uh, smaller um, pests and maybe even blow them up. I sound, I sound a terrible person, don't I? I can't kill anything. I can't <laughs> kill an earthworm. <laughs> Not at all, but that's kind of where we need to be. We Absolutely. To be. I, I, it's hard to appreciate that you love nature. You've got to kill these pests because they're destroying our wildlife on a – gigantic scale that the what a rat can do or a colony of rats can do to our native wildlife it's horrific yeah. now jenny what's your involvement in the coromandel with this project um so i was invited by pure salt to come along as a resident artist for a week um which was amazing to spend some more time in dusky sound and so it I went back to Dusky in 2014 uh, with Doc um, for a similar reason, to be an artist. But it was, between kayaking through there and then coming back with Pure Salt in 2022, it was 10 years, and yet I noticed such a big difference. I don't think I saw a single kaka the first time, and they were it was like they were swarming over all the pest-free islands when I was there. And, um, yeah, you step onto a an island that's had a trapping network on it for a while and the bush was loud. And I never noticed that in 2012, not not in the way that it is now. It's, dr it's dramatic. Yeah, I noticed a huge difference. It's definitely, you can definitely see it working. Going from having a 10-year break and not seeing the progress in the meantime and just seeing the start and then seeing a decade later, it's amazing. It really is. And what does an artist in residence do? Um. I did a lot of snorkeling and kayaking. <laughs> like an artist would do, yeah. Yeah, and I painted on the boat um, in the evenings, but I get really seasick. So I was I was hoping to paint from life quite a bit, but um, I get quite seasick. So you I, take um, a little picture on your iPhone and then paint it when you get home to the land? Yeah, so I took a lot of photos, and um, I was actually really surprised I thought I knew Dusky and I've been there a few times and I know a lot about the history and I thought I knew the place pretty well. But as soon as I put on a wetsuit and went underwater, I was just blown away. Oh, all the photos, 
Why? All the photos you see of Dusky, of the, the perfect reflections and the big mountains and beautiful bush, there's just as much going on underwater. That there's was. this whole other world down there. Fish and seaweed and gardens and coral is just bright. It's just vibrant and it's just stunning. It's beautiful down there. And I couldn't get in the water enough. I couldn't is go snorkeling. Is it oh, yeah. It was the week that I went. So there's that. Um, there's so oh, you're much. The, rain you're the lucky weather lady, right? I'm the I'm the lucky weather lady. I am. They should so have you on their, on their charters just for yeah. <laughs> it was actually a beautiful week, but it's cool there when it's raining too. But um, there's so much fresh water that comes down off the hills that there's a freshwater layer on top mm-hmm. of the salt water, and so a lot of things that usually would grow down quite deep in darker waters grows closer to the surface, and not having done a lot of well, that was the first time I've been snorkeling there. Usually, I think closer to the surface like that, you um, it can be a bit harder to see because of the fresh water. Is that I think that's right, Maria? Yeah, especially at the heads of the fjords, if it hasn't rained for a while, that gets quite thick and dark. So, yeah. you know, three, four metres is not uncommon. So you got to snorkel through that and then it clears up where yeah. it's always mixing. So closer to the coast is generally fairly clear. Yeah, so the week I was there... It was awesome, and it was clear everywhere, and just um, and I couldn't get enough. Fish. I was in the water as much as I could. Really, you never done it before. Everything. That was, was to it? avoid seasickness. Um, well, that too. But I was trying to memorize everything because the last thing, well, I wanted to sit up on the boat and paint, you know, in plain air and paint the hills, but um, I just couldn't get enough of underwater. So I, I was swimming around trying to memorize as much as I could so I could get on the boat and then paint underwater scenes so I ended up doing a few paintings on the boat but both of them were of underwater not um, what I could see in front of me and of course loads lots and lots of photos Maria you are a new type of business aren't you a new type of business well well let me put it this way you ordinarily think of oh, I run a charter business and I load people onto the boat and I take them around and show them a good time and I be very nice to them and off they go. But you seem to have this view of a deeper connection to the place and people keep coming back and coming back with their children and I imagine over time the children's children for the experience. But then you're doing all this conversation, conservation work and restoration work. And then you're saying, well, we're not just doing this to restore this island. This is like a biobank for New Zealand, which is a phenomenal concept. It's big, it's in, but you're a business and you're doing this. But then when you're doing this biobank, and you're saying in your business, we're going to take Kiwis only because we want to build up Kiwis' connection to this place because that will provide this ongoing connection and ongoing support for the biobank. But then I hear that here you are, sweet young <laughs> 18-year-old plus, here you are when you're doing this business. You invite artists 
in residence to capture it, which is like another level of what you're doing, isn't it? It's extraordinary to me. Well, in a way, it's it's still all about people and trying to have as many different avenues to connect people to place as possible. Again, just doing our piece. Like when you're talking about that vision, it's not just us. The department is doing huge amounts of work. Mm -hmm. There's other businesses giving, there's individuals giving, volunteers giving. I could sit probably for a good two hours in a solid monologue about the stories and different ways people are giving, including Jenny and other artists. So the artist thought came about just for that connection reason. So we started the Tamatia Art Project to ongoingly offer artists to come and connect themselves with the place. And whatever comes out of that, there's no prescription to help form more connection for others, another conduit. And also if there is something to sell, like prints or originals, or it might be an event, um, proceeds from that, then also come and help fund the conservation work, specifically tool development and one-off projects that otherwise might have not been funded, um, helping us answer some of those questions and collab with other projects. So it's just another way to keep it alive and keep it keep it flowing and keep the next generation come on as well. We do the same with kids. We've got a Tamatea Learns project. We look after or try to look after the what's below the surface as well as Tamatea Blue doing underwater cleanup, sustainable fishing, food for utilization. Um, I actually really struggle with painting the full picture because there is so much to it and there's mm. still so much more to do. I saw on your wonderful videos amazing pictures of them going into the sound and bringing up old tyre, bringing up an old tyre. And you think, it's a big effort mm -hmm. to get a tyre, but that's the sort of cleanup that people are doing. Yes, tons and tons, yes. And the the connection to place, that's why I'm really excited to be working with Jenny as well, because out of that conversation around how to give back to the place and Jenny having already done originals to then connect with the idea of a biobank and actually draw currency and the scope that that brings to connecting people further and concepts we can build around that is incredibly exciting. Mm. I, always painted, Sorry, Jenny. So I, I always painted a lot of New Zealand flora and fauna and like our wild places and the, like the why was, so if I painted these places, it would inspire people to go and visit them and go on their own journeys, even if it's just, you know, the backyard bush track. You know, it didn't have to be a wild three-month adventure in some remote place. It, you know, it could just be the bush track down the road. But I thought if more people go outside and experience these things and, and notice it, then the more they care, the better decisions are made, and then it's, you know, hopefully there for future generations. And that was always my why for a long time, but... I particularly like this project because I know that my work is going to directly impact the place that I really care about. And I know that it's going straight back into that place. It's not, it's not so eerie-fairy. Mm. Yeah, that's why it really Do appealed to me. Do you feel the pull to leave the Coromandel, leave the beach and go to the... Oh, the I'm from Christchurch originally. And um, I miss the South Island. I love the South Island and I miss the mountains. But, um, yeah, this has become home, this little pocket of coastline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have a home and it's good to have a place to go to. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. And I hope that I'll keep going back regularly because, um, 
yeah, there's definitely a big pull to spend time there. But yeah, for this for now anyway, this is definitely home. Well, dear listeners, our blessed are we. You should go to oh, Ginny, Ginny Devolves. Yeah. Yep. Web page. See her wonderful art. G I N N Y D E E Y. E I N N E Y D E A V O double L. And you will be amazed because ah, I guess it's a personal thing, oftentimes art, but I think anyone who sees this art will be moved. Uh, it's wonderful. Maria, we can go to your wonderful or the wonderful web page of Pure Salt and we can see those those videos that you got are better than anything you could ever see on TV about nature. It beats Richard Attenborough. I can't stand that guy droning on. I loved your videos. And everyone listening who has half an interest, you just have to go to Pure Salt and scroll through some of those videos and watch it, and you'll be amazed at this amazing part of New Zealand and what's being done there. And we know that we can go on a expedition to Dusky Sound and have a trip of a lifetime. But what I'm learning, Maria, is that when you go on one of your adventures or trips, I don't know quite what to call it, connections, you build a connection for a lifetime to a place and to a people and to a community that are all working to build this biolab. And even if it's not your place, even if anyone that listens to this or connects with Fjord in a different way or sees a project is in some form or shape inspired to do something in their own backyard in any corner of New Zealand, then that's that's a win for us. Because I'm going to go know, out and I'm going to go out directly from this and kill a couple of rabbits. Nice. <laughs> We're inundated with rabbits here. They're quite lovely creatures. I quite like watching them because they're amazing how fast they can run and but man, do they destroy the environment. Oh, they're awful. Oh, the very reason we have stoats around. Ah, because they brought the stoats in to control the rabbits. Exactly. Yeah, oh, the very reason Richard Henry was employed. Ah, that worked out well. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I Honestly, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners? Oh, first of all, how could our listeners? Well, our listeners could go on your web pages and they can see how they can get involved. Is there anything you'd like to say that I haven't asked you about? I've never done that before, but I just feel you've got so much to give us. Maria, have you got anything you'd yeah. like to say that we haven't covered? Give well, me, have you got something? Yeah. Jenny, <laughs> start, Jenny. Yeah. Um, um, quite, quite specifically with the project with Jenny, it's about creating a currency to take that, that concept of a biobank quite literal. And the very first three pieces of art are just in the process of being released and there's versions of buying the prints and there'll be other ways to you know heck actually physically having them in your own hands and share that story with the proceeds going towards actual physical tool development so those are on sale 
on our website. You can buy them through the through the shop, and and everything will go directly into the place. Um, That's wonderful. I think the other thing that is still missing is just a little bit of um, background from Jenny for those dollars because all three of them are absolutely stunning with so much background. I can't even begin to explain. I'm seriously excited. Jenny, the yeah, I really, I really like the idea of the biobank. I heard it on the doc trip um, back in 2014. And then it, it just really stuck when I came out with Pure Salt. And um, I kept thinking about it and uh, it went, yeah, it kept coming back into my head and I thought, what can I do with this? And then, of course, yeah, the natural thing was to create a currency. And I had no idea how it would work or, or what it would be or how it could be used, but I thought, no, this is a really different idea and it's there's got to be, it's got to work in some way. So, yeah, I just kind of jumped in and began. And then, of course, what do I put on this note? I mean, how do I pick between all the different landscapes? How do I pick between all the different animals that we're trying to protect? And how do I show all the different weather? And it, it just, you should see my sketchbook, it just went crazy. It's just full. And where do you even begin? So I started with three notes. And they're all the same, I can show you up here, they're all the same layout. Oh, how wonderful. Layout. Oh, how and wonderful. There's... Oh, the poor listeners at home can't see them. We're going to have to put a no. link. We'll put a link. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. That's so they've got a different. $50 note. <laughs> so there's a different view in each one, and I tried to make them quite varied. So one's from like the inner fjord. That's stunning. One's out at sea, um, and one's of a, a really neat rock um, that are just kind of, I feel like they're all quite um, iconic of Dusky, and they're, they're different colours. Um, and then different wildlife as well that I thought were important. Um, and then they've each got this plaited um, pattern, if you can see it, around the outside. Yes. And uh, I really like plaits. I've used them a lot in my work. But I, the plait for all the different groups coming together and um, all volunteering and, and making this this project happen. So, um, yeah, I kind of just begun and uh, then it grew. And I still have a sketchbook full of things that I haven't been able to fit into these three. So, I'd say it's going to continue to grow. Then, yeah, we'll see where it goes. So I could buy a print or I could buy, is that the idea, buy a print or the original? What do I buy? Uh, You could buy a print. So Mm -hmm. you can buy a single dollar. So there's three different ones. There's like a red one, the green one, and a blue one. Mm -hmm. So you can buy a single dollar. They're um, printed on A2 size paper. Or you can buy a print on A2 size paper with all three dollars stacked one above the other. And so the prints, are, the dollars are a bit smaller on that one. They fit on the A2. Mm. And then down the track, a bit later this year, we're going to auction the originals. My goodness. And so they'll be they'll be available as well. And then and the, that- all the proceeds from the, the prints are going to be going into tour development to directly benefit the project. Well, that, those those that currency looks just so beautiful. It looks Thank so you. wonderful. And I I recall reading on your webpage that like you buy one and it sort of three of them or something equals a trap or one equals three traps. How does that work? They actually is there some one to one correspondence to a trap or something? Or have I got that wrong? No, that is purely towards tool development. Okay. Um, as, as lovely as it is to say that, you know, one thing equals a trap, it's not necessarily yeah. what we need. More okay. traps to the bush is not necessarily helping the place. Okay. 
Okay, so it's just to the job. Well, I don't know quite how to end this because <laughs> I feel as though there's that connection that you weave a spell, and I have to end it. I think both of you, we're talking to Ginny Deval, artist, adventurer in the Coromandel, doing this wonderful project for a pace way down, very special place, down the bottom corner of New Zealand. Dusky Sound. Maria Custer with a K of pure salt. And if you want to help these ladies, if you want to be inspired, go straight to their webpage just right now. And Maria, I think I'm saving for coming on one of your expeditions with my children. Nice. I think We'd that would be amazing. I think it'd be better than going to Spain or going to Switzerland. I think it'd be so much better to spend six days on a boat developing a connection with a very special part of New Zealand and then becoming part of something much bigger in New Zealand, that community of people that are working to build our biobank. It's a special place. And for the most important things in life, they're never the right words. So I'll leave that with you. Yes. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Truly, we are blessed. Two wonderful, wonderful ladies, Ginny Deval, Maria Custer, Pure Salt. Uh, oh, my goodness. Can you ever imagine a business like that where it's not just about taking in the dollars, giving the people a good trip, but about rebuilding a little bit of New Zealand about what it was, what that place was in terms of its flora and fauna before people arrived. And uh, it's sort of like um, Jurassic Park, isn't it? Making making it right back to our prehistory before there were people. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember, you can send me a text 2057. Email me inbox at radiocheck.radio. Do look up those web pages. You will be impressed and amazed. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Yesterday, I clicked on the New Zealand Herald to see what the news was. And I just want to read you the headlines because is any of this interesting, really? Is this even news, some of it? Mm. First story is. Cut short, quote, deadly mushroom lunch survivor breaks silence. Well, they could tell us what he said in their headline. Am I interested in that? Not really. Is that news? No. Significant health hazards may force police stations to be closed nationwide. May. So they're not going to be forced to close, but they could be. And the significant health hazards is in quotes. So someone's saying it, who? Is it like someone in authority that has a power to close them? No, just a union. So it's sort of a made-up story so far, unless it gets more serious. It's not. New Zealand birth rates fall to lower since World War II. Well, I suppose that's news. Mary Immersion School moving in sparks. Moving in sparks. Oh, Mary Immersion School moving in Sparks controversy in tight-knit community. That's just badly constructed headline. How Camilla is coping without King Charles. Oh, how would they know? Fletcher Building in line for a downgrade. Is debt bill nears $2 billion. 
No, that's news, business news, I guess. Why in New Zealand profit is set to divide, divide, dive? Why can't they just tell me why it's going to dive in the headline? Save me clicking on. Oh, they want you to click on, though, don't they? Oh, here's one. Missing mum, family's grisly theory. Clue. It's left them baffled. Ah, some overseas story. Who cares? How red wine lost its health halo. Well, we always knew it was nuts. They said it was healthy, right? Alcohol's a poison. Lost swimsuits almost derails Claire Burt's world title. Oh, daring me. Bones, balance, and aging. The surprising links between bone health and brain function. Man finds out he's not the father of his baby through live puppy cam. I clicked on this one because I wondered how looking through a puppy camera, I guess it's a camera so you can look at his puppy, could prove to him that he wasn't his the father of his daughter. Well, it's an English story for a start. But he just turned on the camera and saw his wife FaceTiming her boyfriend and having introducing their little daughter and getting them to call her boyfriend daddy. And then he went and had a paternity check. So it's just a, what's the word? It's just a grab, right, to get you clicking on clickbait. That's the word they use. Utterly honoured. Brooke Fraser returning to New Zealand for a one-off show. Revealed. Oh, this would be good. Transport officials plan to quadruple speed cameras, triple traffic tickets and save lives. Well, it's planned. I know what. None of that is of much interest, right? Except, I guess... Happy story because that was the one I clicked on. Here we go. I'm going to hop across to stuff. Yeah, this is yesterday to our show. Mushroom lunch survivor shares tragic milestones and emotional address. Not interested. How Lewis Clearbert overcame drama to win world championship gold. Well, I was interested to know what the drama was, so I clicked on. Let's see, misplaced his bag for a while. I didn't need to know that. Ah, four-match ban looms for Warriors after NLL trial lockout. Don't care. Live photo show show flames lighting up night score sky in Waikiri Valley. Well, that'd be interesting. I can't be bothered. Why do you turn on to? Who do you turn to for news? No, not stuff. Woman arrested on suspicion of murder after three children found dead in UK. Jono's brothers call up Kiwi singer to perform with them. Equestrian stars Olympic dream in doubt after riding in Skimpy Mankini. Do oh, I care about this? Cheaper watermelons add to fruit and veggie price drops. Legal, quote, legal, just naughty. Messages next step in Watson versus Glenn. Who cares about these two guys fighting it out? I don't. Maybe you do. Why do they think we are? Oh, here's a good one. Win a Honda mower. Sign up to our newsletter and go in the door to win a Honda battery-powered mower. Oh, it's an ad. That's the first thing that's grabbed me on the stuff. Aren't stuff in New Zealand in a dry state? Text me, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. My goodness, I'd love to see old-time news back again.
It was interesting. It was informative. And oftentimes gripping. Not anymore. I'm in my happy place. I'm on Readily Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. With you listening and your feedback in the mailbag. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to go through that. See what we've got. Hi, Rodney. Oh, for Rodney, it's a general feedback. It's a web page. Oh, I'll try and cop I'll try and copy it and see what it is and I'll read it out. How do I do this? Oh my goodness. I'll come back to that. That will be cool. Oh, I didn't get it to work. Now, remember I had the interview with Dr. David Harvey, the retired judge. Uh, here we go. Hi, Rodney, listening to your show from yesterday and OMG. I have come to the conclusion that we really do need to go back to the scholars from the past. And I mean pre-Marxist teaching in the universities in New Zealand. I heartily agree. And of course, we don't now study the history of thought. It's all in the here and now. It's all this postmodernism. We don't go back to the original writers and authors and thinkers, I guess because they were white and male. The Judge David Harvey is obviously a scholar from earlier times, and it shows in his interpretation of the law, the way he teaches, and also the topics he teaches. He understands what and how to teach these topics, and also why he was doing so. I believe the government need to employ this man to oversee teaching law and probably political ethics in our universities to read it all the Marxist BS. Paul Moon is also a brilliant mind and has the hardest job of all, as you say, writing a book on history. Such a brilliant interview with you, Rodney, making it more a natural conversation, bring out points as required to progress the conversation. Thank you. I'm learning and doing my best for you and for me. The Human Rights Commission need to remove this piece of writing and be audited to see why we accepted it as truth and also the amount of money spent and get the taxpayer money back. This needs to be brought into the public eye so they can see where their money is being spent. Such a great job by Paul Moon to write a critique and then the response from the government and media. It shows just where they stand racist and Marxist still. We really do need to get this out there front and centre for all the country to see. This is our country, and it's being stolen from a few for a few elite racists to run. Thank you, Paul Moon, for making me see this, and thank you, Rodney, for this brilliant conversation. Cheers. Oh, from our biggest fan, Mike. Thank you so much, Mike. Great comment. Well written. Rodney, thanks for reading out my text. However, you're not getting my point, exclamation mark. Oh, I'm sorry. You just said you were 100% on the side of Israeli Jews. Mm, 100% on the side of Israel. But I get what you mean, Israeli Jews, yes. That is blindly taking sides. No, I'm not blind, I don't think. Open your mind. I'll do my best. It is the Israelis who have the clear intent to wipe out the Palestinians. No. And they have the means to do it. Yes. And they haven't done it. And they won't do it. And they are currently sweeping them from the river to the sea. Oh, they're being extremely careful and losing men and women in their care. Not to take out the innocents. They are taking out the harmless terrorists. They are rescuing the hero, uh, hostages and pro 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 proposing to send those who survived to Africa. Thank you. I'll email you some more information. Cheers, Donna. Well, thank you, Donna, for your feedback. Um, it's funny inversion, and I guess it's just because we're on opposite sides of this debate. But 
it's clear to me that it's the Palestinians that want to wipe, wipe out the Israelis. I guess not the Israeli Muslims, but the Jewish people living in Israel, and indeed Jewish people all over the world. That's their stated intention. It's not something inferred. It's written and acted upon. So if the Israelis laid down their guns, they'd be wiped out. The Palestinians laid down their guns, they would survive and prosper. Keep coming back to me, Donna, because it's a great discussion, great debate. Hey, Rodney, I thoroughly enjoyed your chat to retired Judge David Harvey. What a clever and big-picture-thinking dude he was. And we're so privileged to have him on our side. We are. He will simply demolish any argument presented by the loony left. He will. And not only is it his opinion that does it, but careful study and a lot of, and a lot of based on his experience and his understanding of law. Everything he articulates is carefully crafted, explaining the whole gamut from woe to go. Apart from him, I'm hearing more and more heavy hitters on RCR. I would say that your recipe for delivering a radio station to New Zealanders is right on the mark. I'm funding you guys as a founding member. Thank you so much and would love to give more, but I'm struggling at the moment to decide who to support and who I need to say, sorry, I'm broke. <laughs> oh, we know that feeling. Thanks, Jan. You're wonderful. Oh, we've got the David Seymour interview feedback. Hi, Rodney. If David didn't feel threatened going to a white dangy, why did he feel so threatened at Parliament? Oh, my goodness. What a great question. What a great question. Oh, I wish I'd asked that. Because at Waitangi, he was, what's the word, threatened. And in the lead up to it, there was an implied physical threat, wasn't there? If he'd come down to speak to the protesters properly at Parliament, he would have been loved and hugged and probably got 25% at the election. But he didn't. I don't know why. He signed up with Jacinda. Maybe he was scared of her. I spoke to a long-time journalist friend by text when I was at the protest. And I said, why don't the journalists come down and find out what's going on? And he said they were scared. Not scared of the people, but scared of the COVID, and that we were like a um, cesspit of disease, and they could get it and get COVID and, of course, all die. So they that was his explanation. He and they were terrified of COVID and that, he viewed it that the employers couldn't expect them to go down and put their health and safety on because of COVID. Oh, my goodness, what a time that was. David Seymour speaks, oh, he has put it in a great way, we are one people, Mark. He did, and I support him 100% after hearing him speak on his Treaty of Principles bill. And I thought he articulated his position well, and he's got a very well-thought-out position and a well-thought-out strategy. David Seymour speaks the truth regarding the treaty inequality. I look forward to his treaty bill being tabled, and I think the majority of New Zealanders marry Pākehā and many in between. OMG, Rodney, really the leader of ACT saying he wasn't scared of the Waitangi Day celebrations, but he sat in the parliament scared to come out and talk to a peaceful crowd of people. He says he represented. 
I don't know why I didn't connect these two things. I suppose in my mind, I promised him I'd stay away from the jab and from the mandate, so I promised the staff that I wouldn't getting him on because, boy, I wouldn't know. We had to just do the treaty principles, but I never connected it. But it's a great comment. Great question. As far as the treaty principles are concerned, what he's doing is starting the discussion, but I'm not sure if a, refer a referendum is the way to go about it. Do you not think that there are better political ways of going about it? He did explain the situation of the principles well, and really there's nothing ratified by government at the time, so really the line of those words could be taken out and done away with. But would that not be common sense, just my opinion? Oh, my big fan, for Mike. Uh, yes, uh, you could just take it out. Either way, it's going to be controversial, uh, and maybe it's smarter to just get the principles stated what they are, as stated in the treaty, Maori version and English version. Great chat with David Seymour. Thanks, Rodney and RCR. Made a lot of sense, and thankfully without all the emotion usually associated with the treaty. He has my full support on his bill and the initiative. Thanks, Bruce. Gardening with Wally. How interesting. I have noticed no bugs. I saw one dragonfly a few weeks ago, and I haven't seen one for years, but when I was a kid, there were lots of them by the streams. There's also lots of blackberries back in the day for Mary. You both need to look at the fantastic plastic posts made from recycled soft plastic. I am making our new raised beds with the plastic posts. The factory is in Waiuku. Cheers, Bonnie. Oh, Bonnie, send us a link. Hi, Rodney. First of all, thank you so much for the great work you're all doing. Very much appreciated. Very informative. What would we be without RCR? I agree. I've listened to the last three play with Wally, and I was shocked to hear that Wally still uses glyphosate. Roundup. To quote an expert on glyphosate, Howard Vliga, quote, glyphosate is the most chronically toxic compound ever indiscriminately released into the environment. End quote. Glyphosate and neurotoxicity go hand in hand. Bayern, who bought Monsanto, is paying billions of dollars in court claims in America. Wow. Because the relation between glyphosate and certain cancers have been proven, and still New Zealand we spray glyphosate by the truckload along our roadsides. In many countries, the private use of glyphosate is already forbidden for years. Still, the lobbying is very powerful. The EU just extended the use of glyphosate for commercial use for another 10 years. So we can keep on spraying glyphosate on genetically modified produce like corn and wheat that are made glyphosate resistant. Like DDT, New Zealand is one of the last Western countries where everybody thinks and is told that it is, quote, safe and effective. Children Health Defence has excellent articles on the subject. Oh, I'll go and have a look. Personally, I'd like to see RCR make it an item like you do with fluoride. It would be a good mission to get glyphosate out of New Zealand. Kind regards, Rolf. Well, I'll ask Wally about it. To be fair to him, he doesn't spray it indiscriminately. Uh, he's very careful not to have it around his vegetable garden, but I think he does use it on weeds elsewhere. Um, but it's a good idea, Rolf. Thank you for that. We'll look into it. To talk to someone expert. Miss Eleanor's feedback. Hi, Rodney on gang patches. I have a Rally Check Radio t-shirt. Does that qualify as a gang patch? I know some are intimidated, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. They are intimidated by RCR t shirt. And they're probably scared because that would suggest you're not vexed. Love your show and the guests you have on, Trevor. Hi, Rodney. The statement God's chosen people is the thing that gets me. Doesn't matter who think themselves this is offensively racist against those who are viewed as not God's chosen people. In my opinion, we're all God's chosen people. Cheers, Ross. I agree. 
Rodney, you take the chant from the rivers to the sea, we will be free, means the chanters want to exterminate the Israeli Jews. And it's deeply disgusting. Why don't you state that Netanyahu's intention of exterminating the innocents in Palestine is just as disgusting? You, Rodney, are the racist. You do not provide equally balanced interviews for listeners. The majority of the IVs and this is from you are with Jews who do their best to claim Israelis' right to kill. You attempt to portray yourself as a caring, feeling, empathetic person just doesn't ring true. Hmm. Well, look, I state clearly where I stand and I don't think I've interviewed a Jew. Oh, I did um, Dane Giroux. He's Jewish. And I have interviewed John Minto. And I don't believe Netanyahu's intention is to ex exterminate these innocents in Palestine. Not what's stated and not what he's doing. Of course, Hamas say they're doing that. But they would, wouldn't they? And is it not true that Hamas have stated they want to exterminate or eliminate the Jews from Israel? Where have I got that wrong? I've read the Hamas constitution. Is it not the constitution or not interpreted right? And that attack by Hamas on October 7th was the indiscriminate rape, murder, and torture of innocents. The Israelis' elimination of those terrorists and the elimination of Hamas and the rescue of the hostages to me, isn't indiscriminate. They want to eliminate the terrorists who keep attacking them. And they're very careful, as I understand it, not to harm innocents. But innocents keep getting harmed because Hamas hides behind them and uses them and puts out fake statistics. But of course, we are on the different sides of this debate and this discussion. But that doesn't mean we don't respect each other and are able to debate it and to discuss it and get to the bottom of it, of this terrible thing that is happening far away from our shores. But in a funny way, I feel as though it could come closer to us because you see the seeds of this hate, this racial hate, coming to the fore in New Zealand now, not just against Jews, which we're seeing with these charts, but this talk of colonisation and white people being spiders. Mm. It's a start of something that could get really nasty. Reflection, my reflection on environmentalism. Good morning, Rodney. I so enjoy listening to you. I love your truth through anti-Semitism. Rife in the world today, thanks to mainstream media lies. Correct. 
Chloe Swarbrook, the Green Party and climate change. We desperately need the scientific truth you spoke about this morning instead of the peddled garbage dished out by the ton from those seeking to destroy us. Keep it up, Rodney. Your truths are so refreshing. Blessings, Liz. Thank you, Liz. I, I really enjoy that feedback. Thank you. Uh, info for Rodney. Hi, Rodney. If you want to know how hard it is to question the narrative, i.e. climate or COVID, search for Stein versus Mann. Oh, yes, I'm following that court case. Where the court case has just finished, where damages were awarded to Mann for a dollar, but a million against Mark Stein. Basically, if you question anything, you'll be hammered. Over the 12 years this has been going on, Mann has not paid a dollar. The green business is worth $1.5 trillion. They don't want pesky chest questions. Cheers, Martin. That Michael Mann and that hockey stick did so much damage, and it was, well, but careful what I say. <laughs> Let's just say, uh, it was shown to be an error. And Mark Stein, Stein, in pointing that out, has been taken to the cleaners. And he was right, and he was correct. That crazy, crazy hockey stick taken off literally a couple of trees and it was the front page of the IPCC, and what was it, 2002, all those years back? And the names escaped me, but some very clever, one of them was an engineer, studied the model that Mayan used and realised and uncovered that you could have put any old data in and you would have got that hockey stick. It was a shocking piece of work, but it drove the concern for climate change because it eliminated the medieval warm period, which is warmer than now. Just took it away and had this astronomic, geometric, exponential warming and crisis written all over it. And so it was lapped up by the IPCC and their report and by the world's media. And it changed the debate on climate change. It became a thing and something to be scared of. And yet, it was dodged, dodged up. And, of course, they wrote that in their emails that were exposed. And even that became a terrible thing because in their emails they were talking about um, how to deal with uh, no evidence of warming in the records. Oh, my goodness, these people. Dear Rodney, crazy what life has had in store for all of us at various stages. Your verbal account on your life thus far is very interesting and your observations from my point of view had integrity and merit. Amusing thought. I had a reason recently to be in the Queensland area, and funny enough, I was secretly hoping that I might bump into you, as you once commented you reside near the Ness. Keep up the good works. So I donate regularly to RCR. Thank you. If my accountant queries my donation, I shall apply a small price to pay to advance the idea of democracy and free speech. Lee. Thank you so much for Lee. Um, probably not bump into me, because I sort of tend to stay away from going into Queensland. Just, I tend to stay away a lot from people nowadays but i run around things with my kids so maybe dear rodney and asked yeah i was on a long drive today and i listened to rodney's marvelous story of his journey as an environmentalist and the truths he realized on the way wonderful piece perfect thank you mary thank you mary hi rodney just been listening to your musing, musings on environmentalism very interesting and loved it also heard you talking with wally which is another great show and you can get seeds for tomato sub arctic plenty from king seeds I have one growing, and the tomatoes are big and tasty. Thank you all for the shows, Maureen. I'm going to go to King Seeds, get some Arctic plenty. I was in at Mitre 10, and I got some tomato seeds, but I wasn't 
wasn't happy with them. I'll plant them out, but I'll get some. I've got space. I'll get some subarctic plenty because I've been recommended it. Thank you so much. That's a mailbag. Uh, email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Text me 2057. I so love it. And if you want to send me a private comment, you can just say not for reading out um, or I can share it. I love your comments. Thank you so much. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, rallycheck.radio. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a great show, Dr. Sarah Farron. Isn't she a gem? I didn't want to mention too early on that we're talking about nits because I always get a bit itchy in my head when nits come up for discussion. And um, I'm bored. So it's surprising, but it's sort of, ooh. But how fascinating was that? That we're looking at the symptom, not the problem. Doesn't, doesn't that happen so often in their lives? And we're sort of directed to the superficial and not the deeper stories. You were so wonderful. And then Mary Cust Maria Custer and Ginny Duval. Oh, I've never been to Dusky Sound, but I so want to go there. I so want to go on that cruise with my kids. Didn't like to ask how much it would cost because I suspect it's quite a lot. But... It would be a trip of a lifetime. And I imagine it's all the more valuable if you can establish that lifelong connection to the place and to the people and this idea of creating a community. What an extraordinary concept for a business, not just shuttling people around a nice place, but building a connection and that contribution back to that corner of New Zealand to the benefit of all of New Zealand and not just thinking of New Zealand today and tomorrow but years hence hundreds of years hence and for the future generations and for our fauna and our flora what a wonderful wonderful story that was I, it deeply moved me I hope it deeply moved you too and what a wonderful two ladies we had on Thank you for listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. Text me, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. And please, tune in Thursday. Got a great show coming up. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. 